So no surprises for guessing what topic leads the discussion on today's podcast. Why have I said discussion? We're clearly not going to be discussing anything. You're going to be listening to me. You have no choice, but that is what you've tuned in for. Let's keep it uh, keep it retro. And, um, uh, and, and I thought it being such a momentous last month, uh, specifically for drummers, that um, I was going to forsake the usual me being a dickhead at the beginning of the uh, podcast, telling everybody, well, telling you what I do and all the rest of it. And you know about all that by now. And if you don't, and this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, you can go and listen to any single one of the 102 others. Yeah, that's right. Gone over 100. Didn't even know. Um, None of this. Oh, it's a 100th podcast. Let's get a special guest on. None of that bullshit here. Okay. Um, But it's been an immense, immense month for all the wrong reasons in um in metal but specifically um drummers in metal obviously um for those of you that don't know please tell me that there's not one person listening to you that doesn't know but if you, in case you didn't know the uh, the little clip you heard up front there that is yyz by rush it's called yyz because they call it yyz and i'm not going to be a fucking cock and call it yyz just because that's how we say it in this country um one of the most awesome instrumentals probably my favorite instrumental um uh, of all time and that includes orion and um call of cthulhu um it is just simply it's incredible so much happens and yet so little happens but if you listen really it, it, honestly it's just rush were um uh so anyway yeah I, I suppose i should say yes so that was a clip for our, that's yyz from the album moving pictures by the band rush played because the drum, drummer neil pert passed away this month from brain cancer he had a very very hard life neil um oh how hard has it been in the band fucking he, tough when you don't like being famous <laughs> which he didn't just check out the lyrics to Limelight on that album, um, where he makes it perfectly clear what he thinks of most people. But um, yeah, he had suffered a lot, a great deal of loss in his life. And if I've got the timeline timeline right, he finally retired from Rush and that was it. And they were like, yeah, OK, we're done. And he finally had his life was his own. And six months later, he was uh, diagnosed with brain cancer. Um, which he struggled on with for three and a half years and then passed away. It's incredibly sad. I cannot state this enough of to what... It wasn't just that he was an amazing drummer, because he was. It wasn't just that he was an amazing percussionist, because he was. It wasn't because he played the best drum solo that you'll ever see. And let's face it, drum solos, pretty much for drummers, right? Time to go to the toilet, um, you know, do anything other than stand and watch. Not a rush show, no. No, you watch. You'd, you'd watch. You'd be waiting for the drum solo. For fuck's sake! I mean, <laughs> that's just that just does not happen. That is not something that that any other band ever experiences, right? You know. Oh, cool. Yeah. Let, let's um, let's uh, let's let's get a drum solo out there. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, the fact that the point I was getting towards was he's actually he's an innovator. That is the thing that sets Neil Pert apart from all other drummers. He was an innovator. You could... I I was talking to a friend who's also a big Rush fan, and we both agreed that um, to be be a great, to be a true great, you need, um, certainly as a drummer, the thing that sets you apart is you have your own sound, 
and you can tell it's them straight straight away without even knowing you know what the song is or what the band is or anything that as soon as you hear the dr- as soon as you hear that drumming you know it's them signature sound the only people that spring to mind are are Neil Peart um Bill Stevenson from Descendants um Igor Cavallera who I've been lucky enough obviously to have on the show um is another one and I'm sure I'm sure there's lots of others as well but you know it, it, it was just such a great, great loss. Um, yeah, they'd retired and they weren't playing anymore, but they're a real band, a, a band from my life, from my past, from my history. Uh, moving pictures will always, always remind me of the time that uh, I was listening to that around the time I went and stayed with my sister in, uh, I think, fucking hell, Rochdale, when she was doing a job. And I, w- I went and stayed with her for... Um, for a weekend and it was it was the first job that she'd had that you know where she'd moved away and all the rest of it and it was um yeah it was it it, it, it that memory is attached to, to that album but also loads of other albums um i urge any of you to find uh, a copy of the blu-ray time machine it is incredible if you have a blu-ray player and because blu-ray really does do it justice it's not the same when it, it's not the same stream because obviously it's you're streaming for fuck's sake um, if you can pick that DVD, that Blu-ray up, or just try and um, uh, check it out. It's live in Cleveland from 2011. Um, they are on fire. They are having a brilliant time. They play the whole of Moving Pictures, so I'm obviously very happy. Incredible drum solo. Brilliant set. And it, it, it's just incredible. It really, really is. Um, and, uh, and that's the way I want to remember them. Um, on stage, having fun, clearly loving loving life. Um, and that's it's fucking awesome. Um, but unfortunately, it's not just Neil. It's, it is a um, a former guest on the show, Reed Mullen from Crosion of Conformity, um, who's also passed away. Not quite sure what's happened um, there. Um, but again, truly, truly sad. Uh, COC are a band that I've been you know familiar with and buying records for since well before I was even in Acid Rain. Um, or before we sort of started doing stuff, so I'd have been about fourteen, fifteen, and um, what a great band! What a, what an absolutely great band for me. Their greatest work is the album Blind, which I know is kind of weird because a lot it seems to be a forgotten album. Um, and again, uh, Reed Mullins' drumming on that album is sublime, <laughs> utterly, utterly sublime. And I remember interviewing him as well. And I don't know if it was actually in the interview or not, but we had um. We had a discussion about Bill Stevenson from Descendants, and he was like, oh, my God, he's, he's a god. I don't know how he does it. And uh, he was just such a lovely guy. And, uh, you know, um, at the time, the, you know, the only member who was, who, was, who, was, who was actually around saying, yeah, hey, you know, I'll put my hand up. I'll do interviews, which is really cool. Really, really cool. And a, and a really nice guy. I got to spend sort of 40 minutes in his company. And, um, uh, uh, yeah, I'll always, I'll always treasure those moments. And finally... Um, Sean Reinhardt in this fucking just terrible month. Um, what a way to start the year. Former death drummer, Sean Reinhardt, uh, former cynic drummer. Um, just what a drummer. Um, not somebody that I've ever met. Um, and I wasn't really, st- I wasn't still into death during his era or cynic for that matter. So I can't speak to being, um, uh, particularly moved by his death, but certainly, obviously, just going like, wow, that is like 
just what's going on here. And obviously very, very sad when anybody dies before their time, it is sad. Um, and with all of that talent disappearing in one month, um, it's just gutting, isn't it, really? I'm sure you'll feel the same. And, and sorry that it's such a downbeat start to the first pod. Don't worry, things will pick up. Um, and sorry it's such a downbeat start to the first podcast of the year. Um, but that's the way it is, guys. I mean, you know, there's no there's no getting away from it. There is absolutely no getting away from it. This, this you know, the shit's gone down. And, I, you know, I can't do the podcast and not talk about it. Um, not that anyone's asking me to. Shut up, Howard. Anyway. Um, hot on the heels of three of those guys dying, then we get the news that Aussie's got Parkinson's. And can I just say, was I the only one who thought that is the least surprising medical news I think I've heard for, for quite some time? I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not belittling him. I'm not laughing at Aussie. I am laughing at the fact that that you know. Anyone who saw the first series of the Osbournes 15 years ago must have been going, there's something going on there. Um, but um, but obviously, and, and within days, there's articles running any, everywhere. Oh, will it affect his singing? Could it affect his singing? Like the guy's not like got enough to deal with. Everybody else is out there deciding it's their business. And, you know, it, a fucking news programme's getting specialists on to talk about how it may affect his singing. For fuck's sake! Really? Just fucking leave it alone. Leave it alone. Mind you, uh, you know, he's kind of crossed that line out of the metal, metal realm into a mainstream celebrity. So, yeah, do you know what? I guess that just comes with the territory. You know, that just comes with the territory. That's part of... Being that, you know, being that person, being that famous, you know, um, I mean, and, and, and pick it to, to go from that, from, from, from that, from one example to another ludicrous example would be on Blabbermouth, the inverted commas news story that um, New Year's Day singer Ash Costello is engaged. Now, when you read shit like that, you think, no, you've actually put that out there. You actually want coverage for this. Now, for a start, New Year's Day, shoulder shrug, what the fuck, who, ever, yeah? Ash Costello, she apparently is the singer, and she's engaged. Now, I don't mean, you know, this this isn't some sort of sexist rant. We, we get, we're getting these bullshit news stories in metal a lot now, and I've mentioned it before. You know, oh, so-and-so's got divorced. Oh, so-and-so's got demarried. I mean, demarried? Divorced? Demarried? I've made up a word! Get in the podcast for January 2020 is really finally underway. Divorced? No, demarried. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Hey, fucking hell, this is what you came for! Um, so, yeah, that uh, uh, <laughs> we're also getting news stories about people getting divorced, people getting fucking engaged, people, Jesus, people selling their houses. Dave Mustaine sells beachfront property for three million less than all this bullshit. It's just con, and that's what you get with a rolling news cycle. I mean, you know, you watch any rolling news channel, whether it's Sky Sports News, Sky News, whether it's BBC, CNN, whatever it is, just watch for a watch for about an hour and then switch over because it's the same hour again, and it will do your fucking head in. How the hell have I ended up talking about? This. Right, anyway, back to rock and metal news. Well, are these guys even rock and metal? No, they're not. 
It's the Red Hot Chili Peppers. John Frischanti is back. The man they created blood sugar sex magic with is back. The man that, yeah, the man they had blood sugar sex magic with is back. Brilliant. If only I could summon up one single fuck to give. I, I don't know what it is. I used to like the Chili Peppers. Am I the only one out there? You know? Tweet me, hit me up on Facebook. What the fuck? Am I the only person that just cannot be fucking bothered with the Chili Peppers anymore? There's a time when I would have read that news and been fucking doing backflips. I couldn't... I just do not care. It's like they become a parody of themselves every fucking photo shoot. Oh, is it another one with your fucking shirts off showing your tats, pulling muscles? Oh, you're pretending to kiss or are you kissing? Oh, great. Are you fucking your guitar? Oh, is it another one of those fucking red hot chilli peppers fucking photo shoots? It's just so fucking... It's just over. It's over and it's done. Yet they are literally the fine line between cool and looking like a dickhead copyright Eddie Izzard, has been crossed. They were cool, but they've just flipped over, and now they just look like a bunch of dickheads, a bunch of fucking old dickheads. I'm not saying they should mature, I'm not saying they should put some clothes, I'm just saying fuck off, is what I'm saying. There you go. There's my advice, there's my criticism, there's my opinion, all in one two-word little phrase. Fuck off. I just do not fucking care anymore. And as for a live band, no. Anyone who tells you the Chili Peppers are good live, don't know what they're talking about. They might think they had a good time. They didn't. They had a fucking miserable time. That's right. But the thing is, chili peppers cross all boundaries. So you get a lot of pop and mainstream rock fans go to their gigs, right? And so, so they think, oh, yeah, this is good. This is No, it's not. It's absolute fucking dog shit. Going to Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, gig is basically like going to a public audition. There is no connection between the band and the crowd. There never has been. I saw them on the Mother's Milk tour in Leeds University, right? It was probably, what, only about 800 people there. No connection with the crowd whatsoever. All they do is play the songs they want and don't expect to hear the ones you want. That's not happening. All they do is play, and most of the gig is spent either is spent looking at each other while playing. Literally, it's like a public rehearsal. Sometimes it feels like they've actually forgotten the audience is there at all. Um, it's ju- just an absolute expert display in how, how not to connect with an audience. Just completely fucking ignore them. So, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, what else is going on? On to new music. Yeah, let's have some new music, shall we? Um, so... Uh, there's a new Eminem album out. I'm sure that has not fucking escaped any of your notice because for some reason it seems to be absolutely anywhere. Well, for some reason. In the UK, it's everywhere because there's a lyric referring to an Ariana Grande gig in Manchester where bombs went off and everyone's going, oh, that's not cool. That's it, yeah. If you take anyone's lyrics out of context and then ask relatives of people who died at that gig... If they think Eminem is out of order, they'll say yes. For fuck's sake, it's really easy. The new album is called Music To Be Murdered. um, And it's, yeah, it's pretty fucking intense. Um, I mean, I can't say, to be honest, that uh, that it's that easy to get into. I mean, I love the previous album, Kamikaze, but this is... um, yeah, this is a, 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 it seems to be a lot more difficult, but um, I'm, 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 I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm well aware most of you couldn't give a fuck, but you know how much I like Eminem, so I'm going to mention it, aren't I? The other album 
This has really taken me surprise by surprise, and I apologise. I try not to do this. I try not to be a, oh, I've got an advanced copy dickhead, right? I try not to do it, but in this case, I am going to do it, because it's caught me off guard. And that is the album Quadra, the new album Quadra, by a band called Sepultura. Yes, that's right, the new Sepultura album. Personally... I think it's really fucking good. I really do. There is some incredible music on there. Um, I mean, I've only played it twice all the way through. So, you know, hands up. I haven't done, you know, full disclosure. I haven't done um, a massive amount of research, but I've listened to it twice. I mean, that's that's more times than I've listened to most Sepultura albums since Max and Igor left, apart from Rawback, which I do rather love. But yeah, I mean, it's... It's really cool. It's really cool. If you haven't listened to Sepultura in a while, I definitely, I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, if you've liked, you know, if you like, if you liked what they've been doing, I think you're, you're going to love this. Um, I mean, it's creative. It's, it's heavy. Um, it's fast. Uh, it's fucking cool. Is what it is. I mean, it is, it is an absolutely. Well, I, know I was going to go overboard there. I'm not going to go overboard, guys. Check it out. See what you think. The same. I can't really say. For uh, for Phil Demel's new single, um, yeah, the uh, the permanent decay, which is um, uh, is going to be available actually the day this podcast comes out, the Friday this podcast comes out, which is on the thirty first. So, um, uh, yeah, and to be honest, um, he has come out with a with a with a name for which all of his music is going to be released under, and I can't remember it, and I haven't made a note of it. And as usual, you will all be thinking, "Well, that's just par for the course, Howard. That's how you roll, isn't it?" And to be honest, you're right, it is. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll tell you what, I'll have a look for that. <laughs> I will have a dig around for that, and um, and I will get back to you on that one. Um, but in the meantime. Hey, let's have an interview. Who's going to be the first interview of the year? Well, it's my mate, isn't it? Absolutely. I can't believe it's taken five years. Five fucking years I've been doing this. Five years to get my mate, Tony Dolan, on the podcast. It's unbelievable. It really is. In fact, he came to see me with his um, with his young lady in uh, Leicester. And... Um, they and, and I saw him afterwards, and I had a right old chat with him. I was like out back. I can't remember what it was, but Mark was like, "Oh, Tony wants to say hello," because obviously Mark used to—that's Mark Jackson, Acid Rain drummer—used to be in Empires of Evil with Tony. So, um, so yeah, he was like, oh, and we had a chat, chat, and a laugh, and I, I'm sure I probably fucking tweeted the picture of the two of us out. Um, and he said, "Oh, you know, and, and I don't know. I said, fucking, oh, I've got to get you on the podcast." So anyway, look, that's a really long, stumbly, shit bastard way of getting to the point. And the point is that here he is, my mate, Tony Dolan, finally on Talking Bollocks. Get in. Here we go. Right, this time we're we're cooking with gas. <laughs> right, right, I'm ready. How are you, man? I'm very well. How are you, my love? Um, I am very well, mate. I'm very well. Uh, it's very good seeing you in uh, in Leicester. That was a bit of a surprise. I didn't uh, I didn't know you were coming. Yeah, well, um, it's 
the the new stuff sounded so good I couldn't help coming. I didn't mean to come in the middle of the pit. That was the only thing. I meant it normally I go to the toilet, I come in the toilet and then I come back, I'm all fresh and ready to stage dive. But uh you guys were so good at everything it just made me come where I was. <laughs> yeah, we have we have that effect on people. That's very kind of I know, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> no, it's really the um the uh, uh the kind of organizers um, wanted me to pop up and have a look at uh, how it was and everything with the uh, pre amp for maybe if Venomink were interested in doing one. But um, of course, I saw you guys were playing the Napalm Death Boys, and uh, I thought, well, that's like a given. I've got to go, haven't I? So, and I'm glad I did. It was a phenomenal night. You guys killed it. Absolutely oh, killed. That's very kind of you, man. That's very kind of you. And it's. Um, I, I was thinking, I uh, um, the last time I saw you before that would have been. Um, Lords of the Land in, in 2017. Oh, yes. Bar- yeah, and uh, Bar- in uh, Glasgow. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of uh, was, I knew you were working on the new stuff. And like I said, Jackson was keeping me updated and stuff. So I was just waiting for an opportunity, really, to come and watch you get told off for climbing up on the uh, <laughs> PA. <laughs> and that was the perfect that was the perfect place to see it happen. It was, so, wasn't uh, it? It was. I mean yeah. that that was hilarious. That was, oh, it was hilarious. Brilliant. But um It was brilliant. It's a funny the, the thing is, it's like, you know, people might might think, right, okay, so you know, Howard's got Tony Dolan of, of Venom Inc. on um oh, you know, that that'll be interesting. But probably unbeknownst to most people, um we've we've known each other for Fucking years, it's going to be about a thousand about. years. Yes, a thousand years. In fact, <laughs> I, I think uh, it was uh, we'd um, we'd uh, we met way way back in the day. In fact, I remember that probably one of the first times before you relocated to Newcastle, by the way, uh, which I think you did at a, at a point. But yeah. um, before that, we did a we did a thing. Was it for Kerrang? Where we did a paintball in Kilburn? Yeah, it was acid rain versus venom, and we'd uh, we all went down there and shot the shit out of each other, and it and, was, and it hurt. It, it hurt was a fucking mental, if I remember rightly, and and I know I do. Um, we it was in um it was in a burnt out cinema. That's right. That's right. Yeah, an old cinema in Kilburn, and we we had to we had to. Rescue a flag from a superhero, and uh, yeah, and I remember. I remember in particular, um, the spread was amazing in the mag. I'm sure it was Kerrang or was it Raw or Metal Hammer? It was something like that. One of them. Uh, whatever. Yes, exactly. But uh, I, I remember we would all get nailed by the sharpshooters. There were two guys who obviously were their resident sharpshooters, and they were fucking so accurate. So while we were all fumbling around with paintballs splattering everywhere trying to hit each other these guys were just picking us off whenever they wanted to uh, but it was a great day a great day it was, it, I remember you had to like that one team had to get the flag onto the stage and one team had to get the flag into the projection room that's and, um, right. and right. I remember to, I, I, I still remember one of the guys there one of the one of the um, the instructors, he looked a bit like Jamie Oliver, actually. And, um, That's right, he did, yeah. Yeah, and um, and I remember him saying, because I think there was there was other bands there as well. I think um, Tiger Tales might have been there, Dogs de Moor might have been there. I don't know. You know yeah, it, was, yeah. it was all around that era. And I just remember, yeah. I just remember the... Um, uh, the the instructor got uh, I think I think we might have been on the same team actually I think like but the we were, yeah. me we you were. Al someone else and he turned and I remember him talking to us he goes I'm really happy I've got you lot and I go and I just like why and he goes and he goes Northerners you lot are artists fuck <laughs> you don't care <laughs> 
I do remember. I do remember the same guy. Like when we had the the pep talk before we before all the hell broke loose, and he was saying, and someone said, like, I mean, does it really knack if they when they fired them? Because you know, and he said, no, no. And he he turned round, and he stood there, he gave his gun to one of his oppos, and said, uh, look, he's going to fight me. Doesn't really <laughs> the guy let rip with like a, a thousand shells or something. And when he turned round, his face was all like a tomato, and the kid was holding back the tears, going, it's not so bad. Yeah. He was thinking. Oh, we're fucked. We are so fucked. I definitely remember probably my, my greatest experience in paintball um, to this day was um, shooting a member of the opposition in the head. And we didn't have yes. and we didn't have fucking helmets or anything on. This is like no. pre health and safety, wasn't it? It was just like, oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. You know, as long as your eyes are protected, that's fine. Yes, there's a gun, there's your bullets, there's the trigger. Just go and kill each other. It was like brilliant. Yeah. In the dark, fantastic. I remember we were up on the projection sh- uh, uh, area and me and Jeff and Al, uh, Mantis and Al, we were crawling along on our hands and knees and there was like the thinnest, thinnest gap. And uh, one of us decided, let's have a look through there and just see if we can see anything. And we looked through this tiny, tiny gap, probably... I, I guess like two mil bigger than the actual paintballs themselves, and one of their shooters just shot straight through and hit between the eyes. Fuck and it was like, wow! I think we sat there for another ten minutes, going, "I'm not moving, I'm not yeah. moving." Yeah. I, oh, oh man, that was, it was such a laugh, though. It was yeah, such brilliant. a laugh. That was a fucking great day. I loved that. And, and you um, know, the thing that I, I was going to say it's the thing is, I think that what was great about that was you mentioned those bands and. You know, when I've talked to people before and they say, what was it like back in the day? That's what it was like. It was like everybody was in it together. Yeah. And, and there was all those kind of community sports, if you like, where everybody just jumped in together. You know, I think of the Maiden boys playing football all the time and into challenging with bands and stuff. And these days, I, I, you know, it's like everybody goes and sits in their room. I don't, I don't see any of that community thing going on. I, I, I suppose Metal Allegiance is the closest you're getting to that kind of thing where members are all coming together all the time. But I kind of miss that camaraderie that was always there, you know? I know what you mean. I, um, I remember doing a day out um, with Metal Hammer, and it was a day out. And basically, we went round London Zoo. Um, and, and again, it was, I think it was a few Dogs de More. CJ, I think, was in Dogs de More back then, and we, we yeah. totally bonded over both being Descendants fans. And there was, yeah, and yeah. basically, I think, basically, if, if your face fitted, you know, magazines would just like, oh, come down here for the day, we're going to go shopping. Come down here, we're going to go no, to the yeah, zoo. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, you know, they wanted to find new ways to entertain, and and uh, and I thought that was brilliant. And because you know, like yourself, I mean, you know, you 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 know, do your stand up routine and stuff, which you've been doing for fucking forever. And um, and you know, you're such you, you yourself as a performer. You know, watching you as a performer over the years, you've always had that boundless energy and, and that entertaining quality. And uh, and and sometimes that's missing from a lot of the acts. You know, they build the stage sets and they do all of that, but but they they forget about actually being entertaining themselves, like Airborne or something like that. You know, you go and see them, and it's like fucking fruitfully fantastic. You know, uh, and a lot of bands kind of forget that that's as much part of the whole thing as well. And so when the magazines would see that and think, let's get these guys because they're going to be some fun. You know, it makes it fun for everybody. You know. 
Yeah, and I think we all, you know, we, we like you say that, but also there was record companies willing to, you know, willing to um, pay to, you know, willing to pay for all of your uh, expenses and all the rest oh, of yeah. it. And you know, I mean, let's face it, it's a vastly different world now, but it was yeah. it was a fucking laugh, that's for sure. Oh, totally, and I think that's it. Yeah, I think the the labels had a, a, a real interest in uh, investing in in the products they had. And, uh, and and that there was value in that. I think, you know, there's a, I mean, we're, we're on Nuclear Blast with Venom Inc. And, and uh, you know, they were put together from heavy metal fans and it's been very successful as a label. And, um, and they take what they believe in, you know, if they believe in something. And then they're always disposed on the phone or on email, you know, I, I, I can contact them straight away with queries and questions. They're offering support all the time, yeah. you know, and I, so I think there's still those labels around. But, you know, what happened, there was also a whole net full of, of labels who just thought they could make some quick cash. And so they, they would get bands to go, right, present me your music finished artwork, um, uh, uh, we'll take your publishing, we'll take all the music, and then you get out there and play, we'll stick, maybe pay to stick it up on an iTunes or a Spotify, and we'll do limited distribution. Yeah. Uh, so you get out there and do the work, we'll give you a whole bunch of stuff uh, to take on uh, on tour, and you just go out and sell it. And it's like, well, I've basically done absolutely everything myself before I... Uh, you know, uh, um, so I could have done that with, without being on a label. But then everybody goes, yeah, but there's value being on a label, it said. And, and you know, I think there is these days still, but it depends on who it is and, and, and how they invest in you. And, yeah. uh, and it does work. They have to invest something in you. They have to care. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I mean, I've had the, I've got the same experience with dissonance that that you guys have got with with Nuclear Blast. It's been um, it's been great, you know. Um, uh, you know, always on the phone. I can go straight to the top man, Steve, and you know, he's 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 you know, on speed dialing my mobile, and um, and funnily enough, I, I spoke to him this morning, and um, you know, it, it, I, I invariably I can just go go. The guy who runs the label, say, look, want to do this or that or this, you know, you up for it? And so far, the answer has been yes every time. So um, exactly. I know. mean, I think I think that's the good thing with Steve. You know, coming, uh, being in part of Plastic Head, they got the distribution, and then deciding to do a label and and having dissonance. You know that they, that he actually gives a shit about what he's doing, yeah. and that makes a big big difference when you're not just trying to count dollars uh, and uh, and um, and sit back uh, and leave it to just occur because the bands are out touring when you actually are looking for opportunities that's that's there you know that's where it counts you know yeah. and, and to 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 be fair i'd say it's uh, my 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 thing over the years has, has been mainly about the publishing rather than the actual uh, labels themselves because you know no label's perfect and everybody's on a learn and and it, it, if you're a younger label and you're less established you know you're look you're feeling the ground and you're trying to find uh, 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 everything you need to make your label work uh, uh, as well or better than the other labels. but um, And, of course, your catalogue. You want a good catalogue. But I think publishing should have... The publishers should have taken note of that kind of thing because the publishers would then take take your music and one of their biggest jobs is thinking. So it's looking for opportunities to put your music on things, to yeah. think your things. And when we had the games revolution, I was like, fuck, this is going to be amazing. And... What happened? Very little. You know, you think, yeah. wow. I mean, 
you know, I'm sure you've been to see movies or or, or played games where you thought, fucking, this acid rain track would have killed on this. Why, well, isn't it, why isn't it there? The thing, is, the thing is, as well, is like soundtracks are pretty much over now. Um, oh, yeah. if, you know, if you get, you, you, might, you might get a song in a movie or a song in an advert or a song in a game, but anything outside that, and, you know, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, good luck. That's basically well, yeah, you know, yeah. one of them. Uh, speaking of which, how are so how are things in the um, in the in the Venom camp uh, camp at the moment? Because I know Je- you know Jeff was unwell. You parted ways with Tony. There's 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 quite a lot to um, there's quite a lot of ground to cover. But more importantly, you know where where are you whereabouts are you now at the moment? Are you sort of working on new stuff or what's the score? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, a couple of years Jeff had a heart attack and and. Uh, uh, which was a bit of a shock. He'd had uh, some grumblings for ages, but we put it down to, you know, heavy tourist schedule, running across the airports for yeah. a connection flight where you had 10 minutes and you needed 30, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, um, yeah, one sunny afternoon, bang, he, he had a heart attack and he, he died for five minutes or something or whatever it was, and they, they managed to revive him and then put new valves in and that. And, you know, he's come back from that and he's stronger than ever. I think in a mental state, he's, 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 you know, got one of those revelations, epiphanies about life and stuff. So he's changed in that way. But yeah. um, physically, he's better than he was, you know. It was yeah. a hereditary thing he'd been dealing with for years, you know. Um, I had a new hip uh, um, uh, done last the end of last year, which had been 30 years coming. And so, you know, for me, I was back boxing and training and I feel fantastic too. And uh, because I was going to have the Christmas off from November, we, we played Wacken in September, I think, or end of summer. Was, it was the last show that we did that year. And then um, I wanted to get the hip replaced. And then we thought, well, let's take this opportunity to start on the new album. So that's what we've been doing for the last several months, um, just working on the new album. Um, we wanted to look at the kind of March... Uh, uh, April release, but I think it's probably going to be more towards the summer now because we, we we've got time. Uh, uh, when we did RV, we didn't have a lot of time because um, we had a couple of months to get everything completed once we'd agreed the deal. Um, now we have a lot more uh, the luxury of time, so we're 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 just fine tuning it so it's a better album than RV. We want it just to be killer. Um, and yeah, Tony had a baby. Abaddon went and had a baby. Uh, uh, which was fine, and he was going to take a couple of months off, and then the springs come out, and the wheels fell off, and it all went a bit tits up, and um, he didn't join us back. So we depped in a, a guy called Jeremy Kling, uh, the war machine, who's, uh, who had done our sound, but is also a drummer in his own right, um, and uh, Chuck Billy brought him on board for our sound for the U.S. tour. And um, so initially when Tony went, we thought, well, We've got this uh, European tour. We have to commit to the dates. We hadn't done any. We'd done two stints in the US and a South American stint. And the label just wanted us to get into Europe to promote the album. So we had to go on that. And so the obvious thing was to bring Mr. Kling in to sit on the drums while Tony was resting out. But uh, Tony never came back. Kling took over, and that's where we are, you know. So all things are fantastic. In fact, uh, Mr. Kling is... Uh, joined Cambly in Massacre, so he's about to tour with Massacre for uh, for in the next couple of months, and then uh, he's but he's still working on the drums for the album, uh, which should be finished in the next month, and then um, we'll be ready to go in March for Hammerfest as the first show in Wales uh, of the season, and then off we go, you know. 
Wow, right. So I, I like, but I, you've done exactly what what I try and do in that situation as well. Um, you know, you, you, you just, whenever you're looking for people, you're looking for people you already know, you're already working with, or that you have worked with. Um, yeah, I, I think it's important. It's important. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it, it keeps the continuity and also auditions, man. You never know who you're fucking getting. No, no. And, you know, I, I know so many fantastic musicians, you know. I mean, uh, um, yeah. and it would work really, really well. But, you know, even Jackson himself, you know, before he was doing the Asabrian thing, there were some murmurs and, and he, he thought about maybe he could come and sit in. But, um, you know, we I remember that, yeah. Even, yeah, we've done Empire of Evil with Jackson, and uh, we just thought, well, this isn't that, you know, it's it's something else. And um, I, we didn't, I didn't want to cross fertilize Empire with with the Venom Inc. Thing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would presumably, presumably, your label as well would have been like, whoa, whoa, hang on, we didn't, we didn't sign Empire of Evil. Exactly, exactly. And and of course, the thing is that that if 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 I'd taken, you know, there was several drummers. Uh, Rick Charion from uh, Exciter and, and, and uh, you know, Tom from Exodus. And so there was people that we could get to do it. But I thought, you know, um, I didn't really want to pick, I didn't want to pick anybody to, to make it look like we'd actually changed drummers. I just wanted someone to sit in, help us out, who knew us, knew the material. You know, Kling knew us very well. He knew all the material. He knew the set. So it was a, a foregone, a simple foregone conclusion. We all got on really, really well, and he could sit in, play the set, and and then, you know, we'd go back to uh, plan here. But of course, we never got that far, and um, it is what it is. You know, I guess you know the, the politics of being in a band um, has always been there, um, and personalities are important. But but uh, I I can't, you know, yet I'm, I'm too old. I'm going to be fifty six, and and. I made a decision 10 years ago when Jeff asked me to do some music again because I'd been doing bits and pieces, but I hadn't been doing a band. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, there's two things we have to do. One is we have to do it until we die. He's already done the death thing. But I said, um, there's no more putting your, your guitar under the bed. This is, this is what we're going to do. This is who we are. So I said, but we have to give everything we've got for, for the rest of the time that we can. Yeah. And, um, and also, no politics. I don't want any politics. I don't want any bitch slapping. I don't want any, you know, we, we, we just do it and we all love doing it. And that's why we're there. And the minute that all of that started with Abaddon, the, the, you know, the behind the back trying double dealing. I mean, yeah. the, you know, there was, there's too much to go into. Uh, and uh, it, it's not for everybody to know, I guess, really. But um, you know, I, I we were almost on dissonance because I've been on a try to do a deal with Steve, but it was behind my back. Unfortunately, I was working on the nuclear blast deal, right. so um, I was like, "What the fuck's going on here?" Um, but he just decided, you know, he wanted to be in charge of it all, and it, 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 you know, it all got too messy and too dirty. And at the end of the day, I just said, you know. I'm fucking tooled for all this shit. I want to play music, enjoy myself, be with the fans, and uh, and I don't need the politics. And so once it was all about, it was more about the the political side of it and not the music. Then it was like, right, that's it. This is where we're going. You're in or you're out, um, and that's it. He was out. So fair enough. Yeah. If that's what you want to do, but um, I just think you know, since yourself included, you know. Since we were young guys, we've been doing this, and we're not young guys anymore. But we still have that that lust for life. We still have that yeah. lust for what we're doing, and 
you know, we new song today and it could be 30 years ago we wrote a new song and I feel exactly the same excited I want to get out there and play it I want people to hear it yeah. and I want to get on stage and and I want to keep that that's the most important thing because when you're on stage I watch you too when you're on stage and you smile everybody's smiling back at you yes. and that's what you're translating and that's what it's about at the end of the day yeah. if you make if you make money doing it great uh, but just be honest and just go out and have a good time and let the audience have a good time with you. They they do whatever day jobs they do, the same as like you and me. When we go and watch a movie or we go to a, a show, we just want to let go. I don't want to think about the crap that was happening through the day. I want to I wanna have a good time. And the audiences haven't changed. You know, the demographic might be changing, but the audience hasn't changed. That's what they want from a show. And that's what it's all about, you know. It's sitting in a cold shitty room with broken toilets and no toilet paper and no coffee for like 12 hours to do a sound check for 10 minutes to do a show that night it doesn't matter once you're on stage clean it doesn't matter yeah i totally agree i totally agree and, and as you said it's like you know it, it's about it's about making smiles and you know you you smiled and the whole world smiles with you <laughs> that's exactly um, it's the old, it's the old telephone analogy you know someone once told me you know when you're on the telephone if you smile and, and just keep smiling and then stop when there's a pause and ask the other person if they're smiling and inadvertently they'll say, yes, they are, but they won't know why they're smiling because you're conveying it through through how you talk, your, your excitement over, you know, uh, what it is. I mean, I introduced you to someone after the Uprising Festival and, uh, you know, Jackson said, oh, it is at the back. I said, oh, can you just get him the pop in a second? But I know exactly it's like, fuck, I want to go, I'm tired, I'm sweaty, I'm knackered. And I don't want to go out and, and schmooze, but you did exactly what I did. You came out with your effervescent, gigantic, beaming smile on your face and were, were a complete <laughs> gentleman. And that, that translates. The people who met you went away and went, what a fucking great guy. And it was like, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's important. That's important. We can all go, fuck off, I'm not taking a photograph, or fuck off, I'm not signing that, or fuck off, I can't be arsed. But, um, but it takes like seconds. It takes seconds. And and it translates for years those seconds yeah. and its value in it, you know. Absolutely, and I, and I think as well that um, uh, when I, I you know I, I follow you on social media, um, um, Venom Inc. and obviously you know well, we're, like we're... stalking, stalking me. You're like trolling, stalking me. No, 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 no. Well, you know, you know. I mean, we're friends on Facebook anyway, but I but I see yeah. I see the Venom Inc. Um, uh, social media, and I presume ah. I presume that you are uh, heavily involved with that. Oh my! Yeah, I. I'm that pres- your presumption. Your presumption. Well, I'm. Man. I'm presuming because because uh, I, I am. I am. Yeah. I recognise the humour, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to find, it, isn't it? Yeah. But no, the, I do. Yes. But the point. But the point I'm making is that exact attitude that you you were talking about. Um, now we we you have to translate that over to social media as well. Because, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, today we I, I posted this Friday fun thing, which is just like, you know, name two, you know, name two bands and um, and see who thinks which one is best. And yeah. and it's like people are going mental over it. It's got fuck all to do with acid rain. But um, it, but it's about it's about just like, do you know what I mean? Just um, it, it, trying to turn social media into something that is inclusive and that is fun yeah. and not just posting. Right. Uh, here's a video, here's a new T-shirt, we're, do, we're doing no, this gig. Exactly. And, you know I mean, I mean? There's, yeah, there's, 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 there's a time and place for the promotion and stuff like that. 
absolutely. And sharing it with your fan base, they want to know it. So that's great. But I agree with you. I think, <coughs> you know, Jeff, Jeff uh, Mantis is a big fuck-off social media thing. He's on it, but um, it, he could be on it and he could do a couple of things and post a couple of things and get 100 messages and he won't open one of them because he's like, fuck that. I'm not talking to anybody. Um, because he's just like, oh, because, and basically it comes down to the fact he hates typing, so he doesn't like to type. So it's like, ah, oh, fucking tip, you ever answering these questions? So he, he kind of hides away. He's kind of shy. Um, you know, Mr. Clean is very different. He's very effervescent and he's always like, you know, lamping around and posting his stuff and promoting stuff. But I, for me, you know, when, when Jeff used to go, why do you fucking bother? You're talking to absolutely everybody. I mean, on my two pages, I got about 10,000. I got about another 5,000 waiting to come in. And so I, I'm going to have to do a third page. But then there's our uh, Twitter and our Instagram and, our, and our, on our, our, our main page on Facebook. Plus there's then fan pages. And I tried to cover everyone I can. Yeah. And he's like, but why you, all that time, why are you doing that? And I said, you know, Lemmy was my hero. Lemmy was the reason I wanted to do what I do. And, and I thought, fuck, if I... If I could wake up every day or once a week and open social media and see that little blue dot and go, hey, Lemmy, how are you? And all he said was, I'm good, man. Have a good day. You know, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be in heaven. I'd be in heaven. Yeah. Lemmy, Lemmy told me to have a good day, too. And, and it would make me feel absolutely connected to everything he did. And so for me, I think it's vitally important. Yes, you get a lot of people calling you a wanker and a tit and a egghead and shit and, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, okay, you're going to get the good with the bad. There's nobody, it's not exclusive to anybody. Everybody gets that. But uh, would I then shut that down for the other 10,000 people or 3,000 people or 300 people or 30 people who just want to talk to you and ask you things and be part of what you are? And... And, you know, that's why also when we do shows, when we do tours, you know, I, I go straight out into the uh, hall. I walk around. I, you know, I, I meet whoever wants to be met. I'll sign anything and see everything. And it's not because I'm, I'm, um, I'm pretty much um, some kind of egotist where I go, like, I, I need to be adored. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not in the mainstay. I do that because these people are coming to the shows and they're on our social media. Uh, now imagine that chatting on the social media, then you come to the show and go, hey, Tony, how are you doing? I go, fuck off, mate, I'm a bit tired, you know? It's like, hang on, you were really nice on there, now you've been a total dick. It's like, you know, the person you get is the person you are. It's very much like you, it's, you know, anybody who listens to you or talks to you or, or experiences you, that's who you are. Yeah. And that's what I love. You know, there isn't any A and B. You don't switch it on and turn it off. That's just who you are. And that's what people gravitate towards, and that's what people like. And so I think yeah. it's about being genuine and being open. And, you know, like I say, you deal with the good and the bad, but I think it's really important because I was a fan, and if I could have had that, I'd have loved that. You yeah. know, and I've re- I'd really see a part of the experience, and, and it is part of the experience of your band. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, what you were saying there is it's about being authentic, you know? Yes. Um, and I think people recognise that as well. It's like, you know, just because you're Venom Inc., it doesn't mean that you have to be, like, you know, using social media the way, you, you know, the, the same way that you write lyrics or you write a song. And, it's you know, and it's like, I mean, OK, some, some bands do go for that and keep the whole image going all the time. But I think 
to be honest, social media is about is about being yourselves and letting people in on who you are and how your day's going, rather than you know all the other bullshit. Think, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, first of all, it's called social. Yeah. Right. So yeah. It's it, it's interactive. You know, you don't you don't go to you don't go to the pub and see all your mates in the pub or see a lot of people who like you in the pub and just go and, and, and hand them out flyers or a poster and then leave without speaking. You know, you, you interact, you talk to them, and questions come up, and, but, but it's part of the interaction. And, you know, I think, it, 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 I, I think that, um, yeah, look, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a way you can appear ignorant, you know, uh, and, and demean the fans, you know, because it, it, the fans... The fans are the ones who invest in you. Without without your fans, there's there's nothing. You know, if you record yeah. your music and nobody goes to see you and nobody gives a shit, and so the minute that one person buys a t-shirt or buys an album or stands in front of you, then you've connected, and so that person becomes part of what you are, part of the experience, and they become very important. And and so it, it's not about manipulating anybody. It's not about uh, thinking you're better than anybody. It's it's about experiencing the thing together, you know, and that's what that's what's great. People get excited about recording their new albums and putting their albums out, promoting their albums. Uh, why? Because you want to go and play the songs in front of people. So you know those people who all just paid to come and see you and all just bought the album and all want you to sign stuff and are wearing your shirts. They're important. They're important, you know. So you you know part of the job, you know part of the job is is. Not being untouchable, it's 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 about the communication and and standing signing as many shirts as they want signed or as many albums as they want signed or taking a shitload of photographs after the show. Yes, you'll be limited for time, so yes, you might not get to anybody, but uh, to everybody. But that is part of it. That is part of it. Yeah, it's what I tried to convey to my guys was like you know. If we turn up at a venue at 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, and then we're going to sound check about 3, 4, 5 o'clock, and then we do a half hour, then we go for some supper, then we go back and get ready for the show, and then we play the show for an hour and a half or two hours, you're actually then going to get feed or whatever else. You've been paid to work two hours a day. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody who's pissed who would be pissed off at going to a job for two hours a day and still picking up their wages at the end of the week. So that being the case, there's an even greater appreciation for what you do for a living. And so if if some people want to catch you out of scenario to, to, to talk to you or get an autograph or take a quick picture, I think they kind of have the right to do that, don't you? I, I think they kind of do. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, but I'm, I'm like yourself, though, mate. That's a part of the job that I enjoy. I mean, why would you? Why would you not enjoy meeting people who like your stuff and want to talk to you about it? I mean, it's like, well, as a fan, that's what I want to do with the, the bands and the musicians that I love. So, it's great. In fact, you know, I, I, what I love about where the kind of level up that, that, that we're at is. I get, I, you know, you, you get to have that interaction with fans, but then I also get to, I get to have a fan re, uh, fan interaction with with other bands. You know, Absolutely. what I mean, it's, it's a great place to be. Absolutely, I mean, you know, uh, I, I think for me, I think Lips, Lips from Anvil is probably the one of the tops uh, of my uh, uh, um, uh, shops in the, that kind of way. Because 
you know, lips is lips, and, and they've done amazing stuff, and they're still out there doing a thousand tour dates every tour. And uh, when he does festivals, um, you know, he's he's gracious to the fans. You'll meet anybody who wants to meet him and, 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 and you know, take photos and endlessly and whatever and chat constantly. And then when he gets backstage at the festival and he sees what any of the bands, his heroes and stuff, he he turns into a 12-year-old guy again, just so excited and so happy and can't yeah. contain himself. And that that is exactly what you just said. I underline that with lips, but that's exactly me. The, 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 the pleasure that you get is you get both sides of it. You get to be a fan uh, and the privilege of being on these festival shows and these dates and play with these amazing musicians and these these heroes and uh, uh, not just to you but to, to other fans and you get to meet the fans as well. It's like wow, what's not what's not to like about that? Absolutely, that? absolutely. And um, and right, I'm now going to take a little bit of a left turn and go all the way back to the very very first time I saw you on stage and the very first time I saw you on stage. I hadn't signed a record deal yet, and you were in Atomcraft supporting Nuclear Assault at Sheffield University. Oh, shit, yes, yes. That was a great tour. That was a great tour. Fucking hell. How old are we? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, I remember. You know, we, 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 that tour in particular, we did a thing called The Longest Day at Hammersmith Odeon it started off and it, I think we, there was a nuclear assault we had Agent Steel yeah. who were on tour and uh, an onslaught played on that and I think it just released the Let There Be Rock or whatever Did, it was didn't the Agent Steel didn't Agent Steel like fuck up or something or, or not appear or their set went like fucking apeshit well, how, I, I, am I misremembering I, know, I think I, I mean that was a live broadcast on Radio 1 Tony Wilson God bless him was a producer on that but it, it was a it was a strange day the whole thing I, um, they were okay I don't think anything particularly went wrong but John Cyrus or Cyrus the singer yeah. was an odd odd fish <laughs> you're not the first person to say that oh my god <laughs> and the band around him like you know they, if they were seen speaking to any other band there was trouble you know um, so the, the whole tour uh, the Hammersmith thing seemed to go okay I mean we went on with our Mad Max gear on, had a shit sound. On radio, it sounded amazing, and the whole was no good. Um, and after that, I got so pissed off. I said, right, okay, let's get all this shit off, and because we're going out with nuclear assault, let's just go as we are. And we kind of turned into a much more casual look then, just T-shirts and jeans. But it worked really well. We threw through the whole tour. There was a couple of interesting moments, like the one where... There was me, John Connolly, Dan Lilker, and somebody else on the bus, and their tour manager came on and said, who put battery acid? Car, now, car battery acid, okay? Who put car battery acid in John Stewart's shampoo because he just took a shower and he reckons he's burnt his scalp and somebody filled his shampoo bottle with car battery acid? And we were like... Who the, where the fuck are we going to get a car battery to smuggle it in to find his shampoo in his private stuff to fill it with battery it's like oh my god is he serious but he was he was very serious i tell you what but, at, th at that point when people are putting car battery acid in your shampoo <laughs> you need to have a good long look at yourself and ask yourself fucking why what am i doing yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
I was like, fucking hell, if you meant, I mean, that was like one of a quadrillion things, you know, um, and the band, his band, who were brilliant, fucking brilliant, but those guys would, would only speak to us, like, if there was nobody around, they'd go, hey, how you doing? Like, as fast as they could, they go, hey, how you doing? How you been? How's it going? Like, right, I gotta go, and then they just fuck off, because if it was seen, it was like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to these people? I mean, it was just a paranoia he had, but, uh, yeah. I mean, a great art. I got to say, I, I, you know, I was very fond of the of uh, the performance, but um, wow, wow, some crazy stuff. But yeah, we continued with Nuclear Assault, and where Hammersmith had kicked off, and it was really bad for us. We ended up at Dingwalls in Camden, which was a fucking riot. So, uh, but Nuclear Assault were great fun. John Connolly was such a wonderful, fun guy, like you. He just full of life and smiling all the time, and everything was brilliant and. Uh, Dan is like in, a, in Dan Lilka, hmm. fucking like an encyclopedia yeah. of underground. So yeah. you know there was always something new to discover. Um, Glenn, the drummer, was the the business head behind it. But what a yeah. fucking drummer he was, and, and easy to get on with. And then they had on guitar at that point Anthony Bromante. Yes, and yeah, yeah, same we, lineup we toured with. Yes, and we went to we were at Paradiso playing Paradiso in Amsterdam. Before oh we, right, uh, I, 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 this story will involve. This story will involve either one or many of Nuclear Assault getting very fucking stoned. Well, it was me and Anthony, yes. And, and Anthony, had said, he'd, he'd never been in there, and so he said, oh, uh, man. can we go and get some uh, uh, some like special brownies or something? Yeah, said, space yeah, cake. Well, yeah, so I took him to the Bulldog. Uh, yeah. I bought a box, a box hell, of the brownies. Bulldog, yeah. I bought a box of brownies. And he bought a box of brownies. I said, what are you doing? And he went, I thought we were getting two boxes. That's one each. And I said, one each? Fucking hell, if we don't want one each. So but we walked out with two boxes of brownies. So he said, where should we go? I said, let's just walk up. We'll sit at the canal. We're not far from the venue. Yeah. So two hours later, we were wandering around Amsterdam looking for metalheads because we didn't know where we were. We were so shipped. And we were just giggling. Fuck and I remember yeah. we got back to the venue and we were met by some enraged promoter and tour manager. <laughs> what the fuck? And we were going, I'm so sorry. Yeah. He's going, you both missed your sound checks. And we were like, we don't know what we're doing. We're so fucked up. And we were like, get in there. It was like two kids. We sat in the corner, like being really told off by everybody. Oh, man, uh, I, but, I had the same okay. experience. I had the same experience with, with Anthony and Dan. Oh. Me, Anthony, and Dan supposed to go and do um, Dutch radio show, and all oh, three yeah. of us were absolutely out of our boxes. <laughs> and, 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 and like, and Anthony was so off his tits that they wouldn't let him. They wouldn't let him in the studio. So it's me and Dan answering questions, whilst and it was one of those studios, right? And so, basically, what happened was we were sat yeah. in there. Anthony and uh, me and Dan were sat in there answering questions. And we yeah. had the presenter in front of us, but behind him was a big window and through through to the, the other side with the production team the other side. Yeah. And Anthony behind the production team oh doing every single thing he could do to to fucking crack us up. And, <laughs> and he was doing a lot. He was like pretending to swim, he was like just doing all sorts of stuff. Then he was coming up then he was coming up to like the porthole on the studio door. <laughs> And he was just pressing his face against that. And, and, and we, honestly, we both cracked like three or four times. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, my but, God. Oh, man, they were so much fun to tour with. They really were. 
Uh, they were just brilliant, you know, in that whole tour. But I remember those, we played Bradford and Leeds. Uh, university dates were fucking off the map. They were just yeah. great. They were just great. Uh, that whole tour was was such a joy. You know, sometimes when you think back, there's some highlights, and that was absolutely one of the highlights. You know, I mean, you know, I, I remember being... We went out with Ven- that and crap. We went out with Venom and Exodus, in, and it was Exodus' first tour outside of the US. Uh, um, we went into Italy and travelled all the way through, and we ended up playing in um, uh, Denmark, I think, or wherever Lars is, wherever Flim and Rasmussen is, Denmark. We were yeah. there, and they were doing the Master of Puppets album. And I remember we got to the venue. And we were at Attencraft, and uh, I went. In, was in the venue. The techs were all doing set and stuff up, and some guy came walking around with these like raffle tickets. Started handing them out to everybody. Missed me completely. So I, I, I said to one of the drum tech, I said, "Go, what, what's that?" And he went, oh, I don't know, mate. I think it's a meal ticket." So I was like, "Oh." So I followed this guy up into the foyer, and I went, "Oh, excuse me." I said, "Yeah, hi, I am Tony from Attencraft." I said, "I didn't get one of your tickets." He went, "The meal tickets." I went, "Yeah, we didn't get any." He went, "Fuck you." I was like, sorry? And he went, you're not getting any meal tickets. I went, why are we not getting meal tickets? There's only three of us. And he went, I couldn't give a fuck. And he said, you're not getting them from what it says, none for yous. I was like, why? What have we done? He went, I don't care what you've done. Nobody cares about you. And I was like, nobody cares? I was like, all right, fuck you then. He was like, yeah, fuck you too. I said, okay. So I went back on the bus. I said to the guys, Jared and, and Rob, I said, we're not playing this show. He said, what? I said, we're not playing this show. So I told him the story. And they were like, oh, we should still play. I said, no, fuck them. I said, I don't want a fucking sandwich. I said, no way. I'm not playing. We're not getting paid for this shit anyway. So and that was it. Um, so I'm on the bus in the huff, and then there's a fucking knock on the door. One of the boys goes to the door and said, oh, Tony, there's somebody at the door for you. I think it's Paul Balloff from uh, Exodus. He's got somebody else with him. So I go to the door, and there's Paul Balloff with King Diamond with the trays from their backstage food. And he's like, Tony, we brought you these to house. I went, fuck off, I don't want to eat anything. I'm in a bad mood. They were good. But we brought you these. I went, all right, thanks very much. I took them and I shut the door. And then about half an hour later, now the venue's getting full and it's all happening. And people are still going, we should play, we should play. And I'm like, no, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. You know, being a typical youth going, fuck this, fuck this, yeah. it's unprincipled. I have been and- disrespected. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, no, it's wrong. We only want a fucking drink and a sandwich. So another knock on the door. Tony, somebody's at the door. I went, for fuck's sake, who is it now? So I go to the door. And it's only Metallica and Paul. And he goes, look, the boys have come down just to say hello. I said, sorry, you all right, man? I said, we're not playing. We're not playing. And I shut the door again. <laughs> and I remember one of the guys went, who was that? I went, uh, Metallica. And they're like, fuck Metallica. I'm like, yeah, well, they're in the venue if you want to go in there. He's like, you're going to come in and say hi? I went, no, I'm not going to go in and say fucking hi. I want a fucking sandwich. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, It's just mental. And yet, after all that time and all that kind of stuff, uh, uh, two years ago, we were doing America and uh, as Venom Inc. And we, we, we're going to San Francisco. And we're playing a, some club there. And a guy called Brian Wu, who did uh, a magazine called Whiplash, uh, which came out of the Bay Area, and we featured in it. So did uh, Metallica, Megadeth, Raven, and Venom, and Atomcraft. And um, he contacted me and he said, "Hey, Tony, I don't know if you remember me. Um, 
Brian from Whiplash. I was like, fucking hell, oh my God, that was like 1981. I said, yes, of course. And he said, well, you're, you're playing this club in San Francisco, so I'm going to come down tonight. I was like, oh my God. He said, yeah, it'd be great to hook up. I said, yeah, we have to, we have to, you must come. And he said, is it okay if I put a plus one because I've got a friend coming down? I said, yes, you can. I said, you know what's really good? I said, it's my birthday. He was like, oh my God, is it? I said, yeah, it's my birthday. So we're playing on my birthday. Anyway, we go down to the club and, and, and you know, there we are doing all our thing. We're playing. The support band guitarist comes backstage and he went, holy fuck, you know who's in the balcony upstairs? I went, yeah, it's a guy called Brian Moves, journalist. He used to run the, uh, fan clubs and stuff uh, for everybody. And, uh, yeah, he's a friend of mine. He went, yeah, but he's got a friend with him. I said, yeah, I know. He said he was bringing a friend. He went, you know who his friend is? I went, no, Tim Petfield. I was like, yeah. yes, fuck. So we play the show. James apparently just uh, plays air guitar and air drums throughout the whole thing. Comes back and meets us backstage afterwards. And I swear to God, it was like the next day I'd seen him. It was like the next day. He was just said he loved it. It was a great show. He's a fan. And, and, um, and it was brilliant. And it was just like having your friend there. But you think all of those years had just disappeared and didn't exist, you know. Uh, we were just laughing and joking with awesome. the boys. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And that, to me, you know, shows the genuineness of the band, regardless of anything you hear or see yeah. around it, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the people are still the people. He's just, he was just like we are now. He was just laughing and joking, you know. And he was the one who turned around and went, he was talking about the new stuff, and I said, yeah, I fucking love it, you know, I love that. And he went, yeah, and then he started laughing, I went, yeah, but it's in anger. And I went, you know, I fucking still like that album, and everybody didn't, but I liked it. And he's going, yeah, it was a bad move, I guess, for me, but, uh, but you know, oh, I, I, to be able to be that honest and be that genuine was wonderful, I think. Do you know what, that's, that, that, that does, I, I'm, I, unfortunately, um, I, I am going to, um, uh, bring it down a bit, but, um, I was at uh, Martin Hooker's uh, memorial. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, and who should have a personal message read out? None other than Lars. And apparently he was desperate to get over for it, but schedules meant that he, he, that he couldn't get over for it. But um, it was a really, really heartfelt message as well. Um, yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't just the the usual stuff you see on social media. It was it was really heartfelt and. Um, you know, I think, um, uh, and you know, well, I heard stories about when they uh, when they were inducted in the Rock Hall of Fame as well. A lot of people that I know were, you know, went out there that they, you know, they paid for them all to go out there and you know and and, yeah. and have a party with them and all the rest of it. So clearly, you know, really, really genuine, and you know, this, you know, it, it's. It's it's easy to um it's easy to um be cynical when bands are as big uh, as Metallica, but ultimately it's still just you know four guys making a fucking racket. Yeah, I mean you know you know you can you can you can throw stones at the greenhouse, but you know uh, uh, it looks some kind of monster was a was a was an open wound kind of thing, and yeah. and whether they should have done it or shouldn't have done it or whatever else, it give you an insight into just four guys, you know. And and their rules or non rules in the band, and I think it, it, it was so genuine that um, you know. But even still, even in, in that kind of microscopic way of being looked at, you know, uh, by a camera crew, warts and all, you still had people slagging them off as if they were, you know, just making money out of something. And it's like, well, 
all I know, you know, and Led Zeppelin used to do live concerts filmed and Woodstock was filmed and people went to the cinema to see all that. And this is a documentary. This is something else, you know. Well, that's, um, I, I agree. And I'll tell you what, one, I took, one thing that I, I took away from that, that movie was there's a point in it where they give a video cassette to each member to say, look, this, yeah. is, this, is, the, this is the current edit. See what you think. And they give one to Hepfield and he just pushes the cassette back across the table and says, I trust you. I don't need to yep. see that. And I just thought, fucking hell. Next, yeah. t- next, t- next time I'm getting fucking really annoying with somebody about a mix or something like that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I'm going to go, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discover my inner Hetfield and just push it across and go, do you know what? I trust you. You know what you're doing. That's it. I, I mean, what I, what I love particularly about Jim is, is that, uh, um, you know, if you think of Lord Reload, which was a period uh, of um, Nirvana and, and all of that Pearl Jam and that whole uh, kind of uh, uh, grunge wave, and here we had Britpop, you know, so metal was was uh, uh, struggling. They fought their way through that with Lord and Reload, and whether you like them or not, or whatever. The experiments with the, um, you know, the Lulu thing and... and um, and St. Anger was an experiment again in, in a period with the whole switchover. We're looking for Rob, after, you know, Jay, and, and yeah. uh, you know, they've been through it. And, and you know, and all people, you know, uh, from Death Magnetic, you know, if they want to return to uh, the thrash thing, they've done that too, you know. It's like, you know, they're fundamentally uh, uh, not afraid. Jim's is not afraid to take a risk and just to do something. And... and believe in it you know and so that was kind of my reasoning behind you know any excusings of of, of points of order where they might not have been uh, uh, the best moments of metallica if you're looking at martial puppets and justice or whatever but for me it's like that's the truth of an artist when you do something with conviction and you believe in it then there's value in it you get something out of it and uh, and uh, you know that's what I that's what I love about him in particular. But that's even laws. You know they they'll just go for it and see what happens. And that's life, isn't it? That you don't find Absolutely, out yeah. you don't find out what what you're capable of or what the best bits are unless you know you can go and sit in a in a in a restaurant in Osaka in Japan with a, a fucking table sixteen foot long full of seafood that you can't even pronounce. You don't even know. You don't even recognize. But do you like it or not like it? I don't know until I put it all in my mouth. And the stuff I spit out is the stuff I don't like. And the stuff I don't is the stuff I do like. And, and that's, that's what life is like. You've got to experiment and, and, and take the people on the journey with you. And if they don't like it, okay, well, then you can improve on it. But, you know, you'll never know until you test yourself. And, and that's what I love about them. It's something I've always tried to do for myself. Obviously, from Atomcraft to, to taking over from Kronos for Primeval and, and, and what we do with Venom Inc. after Empire, you know, it's, it's all about just doing it, you know, but if you believe in it, then there's value in it, you know, and, you know, for every one person that goes, it sucks, there's a hundred people who go, I love it, you know, and yeah. so who are you playing for? You, you're not playing, you're not playing for uh, 20 people to come to your show and throw a bottle at you and say you're a tosser. You're playing for the people who are losing their shit and going crazy and smiling. Those are the people you're playing for. So 
you know, just just do it, you know. So I mean, that's interesting as well. You've you know, that's that it's if you like, that's that's twice now that that you like in your career you've kind of either taken off from Kronos or at least uh, like you know put, you know been in his role. Have you? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I'm presuming that there's a certain amount of slings and arrows that comes that, that comes with that. Um, is that something that you've got used to over the years? I think yes. You know, I mean, you know, Amcraft was always an underdog, an underdog. You know, we we got to Neat Records too late. Um, we the style of music we were doing was after the the gate had opened and all of the the you know the thrashier stuff had gone through. Uh, we were based in Newcastle, so our disadvantages were many. So uh, I always, I always took the stage and took the recording. Like I was going into an octagon, you know, everything was going to be a fight. Everybody was going to hate me, so I was just going to have to just drive through it and see what happened. And you know, I've been very lucky to have bands, uh, guys who, uh, you know, in Amcraft throughout, and and uh, obviously with Jeff and and everybody we've used as drummers to have exceptional musicians who you know wanted to get on that particular snowplow and just help me drive it and so you know I'm but I'm used to I'm used to uh, I'm used to fighting for it and so yeah. you know when 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 we finished we finished the tour with Exuma and, and Nasty Savage in '88 and uh, Kronos they'd done the Calm Before the Storm album Kronos had gone away Martin Hooker from MFN who you just mentioned before had uh, Music for Nations had uh, offered a deal and uh, one thing led to another they asked me to come in I brought Mantis back in um, and that was it we you know I'd, uh, I think by the time Jeb came in I already had probably about five songs for Prime Evil written so you know but, but it, it all worked and um, I didn't consider, you know, because people will go, oh, you know, you're stepping into someone else's shoes. But, but for me, I kind of was so close to the guys. I'd known them since the start, really, uh, uh, of, of Venom as, as they were. And, uh, and we were on the same label. or we, we had all the same friends. We went to the same clubs, you know. And so my association was that close that I didn't consider it, it like, a band I didn't know that I was fulfilling someone else's role. For me, it was just I was just going to play music with my mates. I got to sing some songs that I loved on top of that. So why not? You know, I was yeah. going to have fun with it. And, and I didn't try and mimic anybody. I did it as me. And, and that's how it was. And so, yeah, of course, it, it, initially there was the, you know, you're replacing, they're replaceable and stuff. And then, of course, we put up Primeval, was received really well. We toured off that. And great album, by the way. Like, great album. Uh, thank you so much. You know, I, I even today, you know, I get people accolading it, and and I always am humbled by that because you know I wasn't trying to beat anything before because how could I? You know, you can't be Hammersmith in '84, and you can't be Black Metal out in the hell. I was just trying to contribute my bit to to you know what I what I thought Venom was, yeah, and and in my own way, and of course, you know. Uh, um, Kronosen came back. I left in 92. They reformed for five minutes. They do a couple of things for some cash or whatever. And then, uh, you know, Jeff then, or Tony then, was uh, let go again. Abaddon was kicked out. And yeah. then Jeff removed himself. And then Conrad has carried on ever since. And, you know, when, when we began doing what we did when Jeff came back and said, because I'd done his solo album, Zero Tolerance. I played bass on there. And we did a couple of shows. And then I pulled back from it so he could get on with it. 
And and when when him and Anton called me about um, doing you know the the Empire of Evil, which it ended up being called, it was like yeah, I had to I had to consider it for five minutes, but you know I thought okay, let's do it, but it, we have to do it forever, and and it became the Venom Inc. thing, um, you know, the fate accompli, I guess it was always going to head that way. Um, uh, but it hadn't been perceived and it wasn't planned. It just happened and then the fans drove it and the promoters and the agents wanted to hear it. And then management came in and it, it kind of snowballed from there. But of course, you know, then I go on stage and, and you know, uh, 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 critique on social media is like, uh, you're not here, my daughter wanker and blah, blah, yeah. blah. You get for that. But when you go, we did, I think we did Alcatraz, we did Porosphere in Finland after Jeff's heart attack, 11 weeks after. We went to Porosphere in Finland, then we played Alcatraz a day later, and then we played Bloodstock the next day. And this year we, we culminated with Hellfest and, and Vakken. And when you go on stage and there's you know, 10,000, 20,000 people, and you're up on the screens and you're playing... It doesn't matter if we're playing Metal We Bleed from Arvia, the, the album we did, or uh, Prime Evil, or uh, Live Like an Angel, or In League with Satan, or Black Metal. When you see all those people going crazy, losing their shit, you realize, actually, it doesn't matter. The only personnel thing that matters is the other guy complaining about it. <laughs> the fans... You know, the ones who go, I don't think this is as good, they're standing at the back. The ones who don't give a shit are all in the pit, and the ones who think it's better are at the front. And that happens for him, I'm sure, and it happens for me too. Um, but whereas uh, people like to find the combat zone, I don't care about the combat zone. I'm playing great songs written by great people who wrote great songs to great fans. Full stop. Yeah. Full stop. The rest of it is it doesn't matter to me, you know? It's some kind of bitch slap on a social media. It's like, eh, whatever, you know. Um, I, I'm sure, like, you find it too. Sometimes you get main, main things that may be long-term fans. Sometimes there are even people in bands. You oh, know, yeah. going, ah, this is shit, that shit, this is shit. And you're going, so then you pop in and you have a listen to their band and think, why am I so concerned that this person thinks well, I'm doing shit? Uh, so... <laughs> I, I, you know, my old man used to say, you know, if you say yes, mean it, and then do it, and don't complain about it. So yeah. I wouldn't complain about any of that because I said yes. And and uh, you just got to be like Lemmy said to me once. Fortunately, um, be real, be true to your fans, and be real. That's all you ever have to be. Um, and he's right. That's all you ever have to be. It's getting back to being genuine. You know, when I, when I'm doing. Any of the songs that we do in the set on stage for Venom Inc., they're all as important to me as each other, and I try to put myself into the song so it comes alive, you know? And that's what we get from the audience. That You know, that's what they feed off, you know? The genuine reality. You know, we're not just doing it for the money. We're not walking through some cabaret set of, of classic songs. When we play them, we play them back-to-back, -back, joined with each other, so a song that's like 30 years apart. Sounds like it's coming from the same area, the same band with the same spit and bile and blood and guts, you know. That's how it should be. Absolutely, man. And that is an awesome um, sort of positive message to end on. And I say end on because um, I've got some questions from subscribers now, but that's, um, that's for a different part of the podcast. But, um, but for now, Tony, thank you so much. 
It was an absolute pleasure. It's your pleasure, Acid Green, of course, the boys. Uh, and it's always a pleasure being around you, but seeing you perform yourself and, uh, and getting the opportunity to talk to you on here. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It was oh, a, an absolute joy. My pleasure, mate. There you go. As previously mentioned, I cannot believe it's taken that long to get Tony on the podcast. And I'm definitely going to get him back on um, when the new album comes out. Um, and Jeff as well. Jeff's a Sammy. I mean, I've, I've known Tony. He's one of my oldest friends in in the world of rock. And I can't believe it's taken me that it's so long to get him on. That's completely fucking out of order, frankly. Um, I should be scolded for it. And at that point, my uh, mic, uh, the lead fell out of my mic because I haven't twisted it round properly like I normally do, like a fucking dick. And the weird thing is, I was just about to tell you what an absolute fucking nightmare I have had trying to put um, that little bit of YYZ by Rush on the front of the podcast. It has taken me half an hour. I've been through leads. I've been through all sorts of fucking shit. But it got done, okay? Um, now, you might not... Oh, and by the way, the, the name of Phil, uh, Phil Demmel's thing is going to be Echoes of Reckoning. Um, and um, and, that, and the, the song, The Permanent Decay, drops today, if you're listening, today on the 31st of January 2020. Anyway, um, uh, another topic to discuss with y'all is um, it does affect the podcast because it affects me and my apologies for um, going on about this if you've been following social media or anything else. Um, I think I've mentioned to you before, I mentioned in, in interviews that um, a couple of years ago, well, not a couple of years ago, but um, I was um, in July 2018, I finally managed to get referred for um, uh, an ADHD diagnosis. I won't say adult ADHD because there's no such thing and it fucking annoys me. And don't be throwing another... Another another A in the acronym A A A A H D. That's fucking impossible to say. A A D H D. I obviously need to get it right as well. That's a classic example right there. So um, yeah, I got referred, and in uh, in January twenty nine, sorry February twenty nineteen, I got the diagnosis. I did have ADHD, um, which uh, I prefer the term undiagnosed since a child because you know there's no such thing as adult ADHD. It can't. It's not adult onset. There's no such thing. Um, you you know you've had it all your life. Um, and anyway, it's taken me eleven months to get back to that very same hospital and get some medication. So this month I was put on medication. I'm on uh, uh, the lowest dose and um, it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely helped. Um, it's rounded the H of the a H in the ADHD down definitely. Who would have thought that um, back in the day I thought H stood for Howard. Apparently it stood for hyperactivity. Um, but uh, and, and this is absolute classic. This really is. Today is the first day since I started medication that I have forgotten to take my meds. <laughs> so there you go. Um, uh, oh, shut up. Um, so, yeah, it, it's um, it, it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, but, you know, this thing, these things happen. Um, but, yeah, I'm um, I, I will. Uh, I will get myself sorted. I will. I will be on meds next time, I promise. But um I just really wanted to, I wanted to mention it because it's a big, you know, it's a big thing in my life. Um, it's definitely helped, definitely helped with my trains of thought. There's still going to be tangents about and stuff like that. Um, and it's not, a, a few people have been, have been kind of like, oh, but it's part of who you are. Um, you know, it's part of your personality. It's part of what makes you who you are. No, wrong, incorrect. It's not personality. It's 
it's behavior and behavior is not personality and um you know yes adhd has probably helped me over the years it's probably helped me get my band signed to a record deal when i was 17 it's helped me go out and be able to do stand up it's helped me do all sorts of things but not everything works all the time forever and i just got to a stage in my life or a point in my life where instead of adhd being um you know this like cuz some people do call it you know it's it's like a superpower it's not you know it does mean that you are apt to be able to think outside the box you don't take no for an answer all the all the usual shit that you know me for really um but i've got to a point in my life at 49 years old where it's starting to become a hindrance i'm literally finding myself you know i'm just wearing myself out as you get older um, like every other part of your body, your you know your mind, your mental capacity um, uh, ages and doesn't work as well as it used to. And I've, unbeknownst to me, been self-medicating with weed for about twenty-five years. And act, literally saying out loud to people, um, "Oh, you know, weed's my drug of choice. It's the only thing that chills me out." You know, and not, never did I think maybe I should look into that. Um, so. Um, it's uh, yeah, it th- things don't always work all the time, and, and and I just found it becoming a bit debilitating. I also know at forty nine years old why I'm you know why I'm still single. I mean, I've burned through every relationship with a woman that I've ever had, um, and I've literally worn them out, not sexually, although possibly. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I, I and I feel for them because I must have been an absolute fucking nightmare to live with. Um, because it, it, there's no off switch. You are just on all the time. The day before I went to go to, medi- uh, to get my medication, right, the Sunday before, I was on, I was sat on the edge of my sofa where I'm sat now, um, sat on the edge of my sofa with my elbows on my knees and my, my hands on either side of my face, drumming my fingers off my face, which I'm doing right now. I don't know if you can hear that drumming my fingers off my face both hands either side whilst watching television sat on the edge of the sofa now would you want to be with us <laughs> i mean i'm not going to make it that simple but the point i'm making is there's no respite i mean i've, I've said this joke you know quite a few times especially to the band it's all right for you lot it's all right for you lot you get to go home i have to live with me um and it just got to that stage where I was just like, fucking hell. And through a conversation I had with somebody, it came about. And I apologise if I'm covering old ground. But the point I'm making is, I said no to meds. My instinct, straight away, no, I'll be all right. I'll, I'll sort it. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and I regretted it within a week. Because I'd, then I spoke to a load of comedian friends, because apparently it's rife in comedy. So when people say, good, there must be something wrong with you wanting to stand up there and do that. Yes, it's called ADHD. Um, and, I spoke to, and they all said meds fantastic wonderful really good but something deep inside me had obviously gone hmm, meds fuck you that's failure that is i'm not gonna and like a dick so it's taken me 11 months in the fucking system in the nhs to get back to that place where they can prescribe medication and um I'm, literally a couple of days afterwards i was thinking how would you dickhead why did you just come out with straight out with no why didn't you just like you know suck it and see try it if it helps great if it's but no, anyway so the point I'm making is don't be me, don't be a dick, don't refuse help. I'm not saying that meds are the cure for everything at all, uh, uh, you know, at all. Um, and it's specific to my specific condition, it is very bizarre. How bizarre is this? My meds are a prohibited, they are, they are listed under the Prohibited Substances Act, right? They're illegal, basically, without a prescription. Because what do I take to calm me down? 
amphetamines. That's what. I mean, obviously, not dodgy out the back of a car around some garages, amphetamines, specific amphetamines. But, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's it's bizarre how they work, what they do, and all the rest of it. But it, it's it's definitely helping. I'm going to up the dosage next month, and we're going to experiment with that, see what effect that has. But so far, it's been positive. It's been very very positive. So, as somebody who turned medication down straight away through this idiot kind of DNA reaction to it, kind of being you know I don't know oh, pills messing with me head or you know drugs well oh, that would be given in that would be failure I don't know what it was I don't know what it was I'm annoyed at myself believe me um but um they're working for me they're definitely um I- improving my life um and I've definitely felt just just it's just just leveled me out a bit just rounding rounding the sharp edges off and and that has really, really helped me. Hasn't affected creativity at all. Um, it, I mean, if anything, I've got a clearer mind now um, for all sorts of things to go on all the time. Um, but it's definitely, definitely helping. And I, and I wanted to share that with you and because it, it's important. Um, ADHD, 90% of adults with ADHD will never be diagnosed. 90 fucking percent. A friend of mine works in the um, in the prison system, not Dan, and uh, and he was saying that the amount of prisoners that they have who have ADHD is untrue because part of ADHD is is being unwilling to follow rules, laws, and depend how on how extreme you have it, it can lead to a lifetime of um, uh, of drug addiction, of crime, of being in and out of institutions, uh, of brushes with the law. It really can have an extreme effect. I mean, I went to one ADHD um, group session, which was basically 20 people shouting at each other in a Costa coffee. Um, and the only benefit, the only thing that I got out of it was when I came away was, was thinking, fucking hell, I'm glad I'm not as bad as that guy. <laughs> but all... all Joking aside, I'm such a twat. I can't hide being a twat. There's no medication for that. All joking aside, though, um, yeah, wow. I wouldn't have, I would never have gone down this route if it hadn't been for a conversation with a friend um, who mentioned, and, you know, she's American, and she said, and that's, that's you know, what led to part of my, my ADHD diagnosis. So I was like, what, what now? And then I started looking into it, and, and there you go. So, um yeah, I, that, look, that, this feels like a bit of a, a public um, a public safety announcement. Public safety? Or a public health announcement, whatever you want to call it, right? Whatever you want to call it, it's that. Um, so, you know, there it is. Um, a, a quick mention for the film pod, for podcast that um, I said I was going to be doing. Um, I just can't get enough guests for it. Um, I did want to get people on from bands doing it as well. But to be honest, it's just, it's a whole lot more hassle um, for no more reward for me, to be honest. Um, uh, and, and, and that's it. And, and on that note, um, yeah, there's a, there's a load of questions. Another half hour interview with, um, with Tony Dolan on Patreon. You can join Patreon. And thanks to those of you who have recently, there's been some, uh, some new patrons. Thank you very much for, uh, for signing up. I really do appreciate it. Um, and, um, so you can join me at how at patreon.com forward slash Howard H Smith. If you go to any of the talking bollocks, um, 
social media, you'll find a link and you can click that link and um, it will take you to my Patreon page. It's $5 a month. You get all of the Acid Rain uh, behind the scenes stuff. You get all of the extra bollocker stuff. You get to, you, you'll get heads ups about who I'm having on the podcast. So you'll get to um, send me questions to ask them. That's what makes up the extra interview. You'll also get the podcast first before anyone else. Sometimes that can be a day before. Sometimes it can be a week before. Um, and you get all sorts of, you know, little bits and pieces um, and all the acid rain behind the scenes stuff as well. Even if you don't like the band, it's interesting stuff, I promise. So, um, with that all said, it is now time for my interview with my good, good friend, friend of the show, Andy Pilkington. I never, ever worry about getting Andy on because you guys always say how much you like listening to us just talk shit. And it's been a while, to be honest, since he's been on. The last time he was on, I was recording vocals down in, um, down in Wales and it was, I'd taken a day off from recording vocals. So that would make it September 2018. So fucking hell, you know, it's over a year. It's not like he's on every week. It's not like he's Howard Jones and I'm Jamie Jaster. Hey, see what I'm talking about? Um, so, uh, yeah, if basically Jamie Jaster has Howard Jones on a lot. Moving on. Um, so it's about time we had Andy on. Andy is working, um, is doing some stuff for Acid Rain at the moment, which is really cool. We may have to sort of talk around that um, because I'm about to do the interview now. So um, uh, I, I don't know. I can't, uh, you know, I look, I know you're going to enjoy this. Um, I can't do any teaser whatsoever because we're about to have, do the interview. So, uh, you know, basically, here it is. Uh, let's hope it's good. It's bound to be. It's, it's Andy, isn't it? It's, I mean, you know, top boy. What's up, boy? Me and Andy chatting now. Well, sort of. I've just done the interview and I just wanted to give you guys a little heads up that we had a bit of problem. We were speaking over Facebook Messenger um, and um, so hang in there because there are crackly points that that, that, that and uh, we stop, we call each other back and then uh, and then pick up from there. So don't lose heart. Um, as soon as it goes a bit, as soon as it starts going a bit naff, don't worry. We've got you. And we sorted it out, and it's not ideal, but, um, you know, what can I say? Fuck Mark Zuckerberg. Here is me and Andy, or Andy and I. This is the correct English. Hello. Aha. Ah, Hello. I have you. I had some strange kind of sonar sound effects come through last time you called. Uh, yes, yeah, I, I, I had um, uh, fuck all of you too. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like calling from a submarine. Yes, yeah, the, the beeping, the famous sort of uh, Facebook Messenger, Skype sort of, you know. No, it wasn't that. I picked it up and it was going, and echoing off into the distance. It's yeah, quite, quite... yeah, that's what that's what Facebook Messenger does, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, I hope you don't talk to enough people. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, well, we, we, we know about that, don't we? <laughs> Hen- hence the move to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, they still well, find me though, Howard. They still find me. They do, they do. And do you know what? I've recorded the first chunk of the podcast, and I've right. do, I've done the intro to this interview, and I've claimed that you haven't been on the podcast um, for about eighteen months because the last time you were on was when we when it was when yeah. I had a day off from recording vocals for the album, yeah, which was end of summer, um, twenty eighteen. Um, thing is, you were on the Christmas episode that year. 
Yeah, it wasn't quite that long ago. It's been a while, but it wasn't quite that long ago. Well, no, and but do you know what? I was going to have the conversation with you because I remember having you on at the end of 2018 and saying, like, you know, what, what are your favourite albums? And you'd already got the Flotsam album coming out in 2019, so you were saying, That's like, right, well, yeah. you know... That is, you know, that is almost certainly going to be, you know, either my favourite or right up there in 2019. And then yeah. I thought, well, can't really have that conversation because it's going to look, a bit, it's going to look a bit grandiose, isn't it? It's going to look a bit <laughs> self-reverential when 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 I ask you if it was still your favourite album of 2019. Oh. <laughs> Has anything else come along? <laughs> uh, yes. Has anything come else along come along that you might have? No, I don't know. No, no, it hasn't. No, no. It, it, no I haven't changed my note. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I, I did get into that album eventually. I have to say, I still don't like the production, but um, uh, I did get into it. But uh, still, not as much as the as the previous album, um, which is. Yeah. Do you know what? As it, as, as it's gone, it's. I still really like it, and I still rate it very highly. But it's not something. I kind of have gone back to as much as as their last one. It's not. It's not something like, oh yeah, let's listen to that again. I'm kind of listening to it less frequently, enjoying it just as much each time, but not going back as often. So, yeah. 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 And and the weird thing, <laughs> um, the the cover, you know, bringing bringing Flots back and everything. Having since uh, bringing Flotzilla back, having since done, um, had uh, well done, had a long old chat with Eric Ak. Yeah. Um, the the. The the title, The End of Chaos, is about how the you know, after all these years, they reckon they've actually got a, a really settled lineup, they've yeah. they've got rid of management, they're doing it themselves and, and everything is about as settled as it's ever been. And I thought that's a that's a beautiful title and that's a great concept. Mm. And then you went yeah. and brought back that, that stupid fucking monster. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean it's it's not like they've ever really understood the concept of cover art, is it? I mean you look back at what they've done and you know, it's, you know they, they've got their, their ideas. They're the sort of people who really, really sort of tell you what they want. But Jesus Christ, they must have changed their mind, you know, in terms of style a hundred times over over 20 albums because it's just, it's just a car crash, you know, of, of different styles and ideas. And, oh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I'm really hoping they come back to me this time and I can just say, that. I'll tell you what, can I, before you say anything, can I just come up with a few ideas and you know, let's see what you think? Yes. Let's see how it goes. Well, um, well, it's funny you should say that, and as you know, I've got my, um, I've got the Acid Rain albums hanging on the wall, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm looking at those and thinking about the phrases that you just mentioned, car crash. <laughs> um, I mean, there was consistency over the first two albums. The third album is an absolute fucking abortion, but I love it. Um, no, I, I, I think it, I think it's. I, I look back fondly. I think I don't, I don't look back like I do at Fulton Seven or Jesus Christ. You know, it's like uh, I think I think there's personality in what you've done, and it and it, and it works for me. You know, I don't I don't think there's any problem with any of that stuff. Well, I like what I do like is it's love it or hate it. And again, with the with the with the new album, without a doubt, love it or hate it. I mean, we've had comments where people like it's best best album art and packaging I've seen for years. Absolutely love it. And then you've got other people who are going, Jesus Christ, that you know, winner of worst album cover of the year. Yeah. And and but that's what they were saying about my artwork for Flotsam for this one, and which I completely understand because I don't like it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but there, there are people who are going, "Wow, that's sick!" And then there are people going, "What the fuck?" And they're like, "Yep, well, I did, I did my best." So it's kind of a bit of both, you know. It's like, that, it that, that's is. that's an interesting one. How do you, you know, you've openly said that. You don't, you you know, you don't like the cover that that you did, and I guess that is that you know, 
that's the line between doing what you do and being inverted commas and I'm you know I mean no offense by this in inverted commas an artist whereas like you know what I mean it's like you've you've served your client you've delivered what they wanted and they love it but you don't and, and that's that's a, a weird sort of dichotomy that you've got to deal with yeah it's, it's a weird one really I mean I think a lot of the time because of the nature of digital art as opposed to being a, a painter or illustrator where you can you know the best of the best can just do anything you know I want this in this position doing this in this environment and then they paint it the, the nature of a digital artist and, and there are lots of reasons why I'm digital because bands couldn't afford can't afford you know two grand for an illustrator a lot of the time oh god yeah I, I'm, I am committed to what I can find to build these pictures there are lots yeah that was a bit weird wasn't it yeah, you were cutting out a lot as well, so I was just trying to ignore it. Ah, right, yeah. Recording this end, it was just it just all went pear shaped. But um, you were saying bands can't, you know, can't afford obviously a few grand for uh, for an artist, so it's all about yeah. The so if you're if you're looking at you know the, 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 the sort of top end stuff, you, you need a, a huge budget for it, and that's got to be a sort of investment in love because you never make the money back. I think with the nature of the stuff I do, where it's digital art. You know, if I'm given an, a brief, I need to go and find, you know, te- five or ten different pieces of existing stock footage or stuff that I can piece together. And if I've got to build a character, then I've got to be able to find existing parts of an image that will make the character work in the right pose. So if someone comes to me and says, very prescriptively, I need a character standing this way, looking this way with their arm here, it's very difficult for me to find natural elements that I can piece together and then paint over to make it look right. If I've got the flexibility where I can think, okay, I've got to create a mood and I can look through the research, the resource material, find bits and all oh, that's a nice pose. If I combine that with this image and that image, I've got a really natural looking position. The lighting's good. I can put this background in there. I've got this bit I saved from that I found before. You know, I can naturally build a piece based on what I think looks good rather than having to try and fit an exact brief. And I think the more natural the process is, the more, the more I like the, the content that I'm put, piecing together, the better it is. With something like Flotsam, it was a very, very fixed idea of what they wanted. So I had to find bits that I could piece together to make that work. And it doesn't look as natural. You know, a lot of it was very, very forced. So I'm having to really, really paint over sections and build sections up to try and make it work in the right way. And personally, I can tell that I've done that. You know, it's been more of a, a technical job than a, a sort of an artist job. And the end result, I mean, I can never objectively stand back and think about how I really like something or not, but I think the process involves sometimes directs how I feel about it afterwards when I, when I know that it, it hasn't been as easy or as smooth as I wanted it to be. Right, so it's more, it's more a sense of... I, I guess it's more a sense of an achievement, like with, like with any job. Yeah. I mean, it's like... It's like if you go out and wanted to... You, you, you've got a beautiful landscape, you want to take a photo, but every time you take a picture, it just doesn't really capture what what you want it to and that the frustration of that as opposed to sometimes you just bang up a picture and you get home and you look at it and go wow that's amazing that's beautiful i didn't realize how nice that was it's just kind of the, the more the organic process of getting something to look good is just much more satisfying for me you know i think sometimes i, I have i have briefs which you know i wouldn't choose but the bands have obviously been talking about something for a year and what they want i need three characters here this on the wall, this behind them, holding this, and it's like, okay, right, they're not going to change their mind, so I've got to go along with it. But it just, for me, it's like, no, I definitely wouldn't have done that. And I think right from the... Hey there. 
Yeah. How fucking annoying is this? <laughs> It is. It's annoying because when I can hear you, it's crystal clear as well. It's and you're, crystal, you're crystal clear here as well, and it's just coming out of nowhere. And apologies to you listening to this as well, because, you know, I, I appreciate it. It's frustrating, but it's fucking frustrating for us as well. And it's not like <laughs> it's not like there's like it's it's our technology, you know, blame fucking Mark Zuckerberg for fuck's sake. <laughs> The, the annoying thing is, every time our connection goes down, I get the little... I don't know if you're getting at your end, but I get that little um, uh, um, screen grab come up from Facebook saying, hey, how is the quality of the call? Give us a rate out of five stars. And I'm like, oh, fuck off. Uh, very annoying. <laughs> Ever so slightly. Um, well, hopefully some of this conversation will actually get across to people. <laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully. Um, and well, when you were talking there, one thing I did think of, because I know it was a, a when we because we, we were initially looking at doing, you know, the, the cover for the Age of Entitlement between the two of us. Um, yeah. And we were knocking concepts around for ages. And, 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 you know, fair play to Mark. He came up with one that, you know, we didn't, you know, never crossed our minds. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, but we were very much kind of thinking, well, yeah, you know, we want a really cool cover. And we're, but we did have to rule a few concepts out straight off the bat purely because um, it, it, it wouldn't make a decent T-shirt. Yeah. And it's... I mean, that, that's, that's definitely something I always think about, is the practicality of it. When I'm designing, I mean, I don't even really acknowledge it with bands these days, but, you know, I always, I always create compositions that I think will work on a shirt, because I know, ultimately, that's where the money's going to come back from. It. If people like the art, it's got to be liked on a shirt rather than on a cover, if, they, if they're actually going to make any money. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really, really important these days. And it's, I mean, do you think the day, the days of, you know, like, you know, people doing incredible artwork that is really, you know, detailed and, and, and all the rest of it, are those, you know, are those gays kind of gone because, you know, for the, those, those reasons that we we're just talking about there? I think it, it, in many ways it's more important now because there is definitely less of it. But I think part of it is that, that people like me now look at, you know the heritage of those pieces of art and that's what we try and reproduce in our own way so in a way it's lost its uh, original originality but then on the other hand its quality stands out so so when people do create these you know these fine art pieces i think they absolutely stand out and they and they look like you know the pinnacle of artwork and i think among the other stuff that's you know work like my like mine which which can be decent but it's definitely you know it's digital art and not illustrated stuff I think it stands out even more than it used to. So, it's, so in many ways, people will buy it more and therefore bands will try and afford it more. So I think, you know, I st- you've still got a place there. And I think those artists are always going to be busy, even though there are less of them generally. But um, I, there's also a lot less shit illustrated art. I mean, they, you used to have you used to have painters, you know, people who do do the craft side of things, but create these abortions of artwork. I mean, half of my record collection, mostly the death metal stuff, is just terrible, terrible art. People who can't actually draw, drawing. And I think that that's what doesn't happen anymore. You don't see bad, you know, hand-rendered artwork, which maybe that's, that's the positive to take from it. Yeah, I, do you know what? That's a really good point. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a lot less sort of um, black and white absolute shit going about that there used to be. Um, yeah. Although there does seem to be who can have the most unreadable logo competition still going after all these years. Do you know what? It's, it's really funny, right? Because, you know, live, live and let live with those kind of logos. I get people need them and they like them. 
But no one, it's weird, no one has ever even asked me to do one. I've never been asked to do an illegible logo, and it's really strange. You know, the, I, I get a huge amount of bookings from, you know, from pop bands through to the most extreme of death metal for, for, for all sorts of things. But no one ever talks about, can I do those logos? So I, I think it's just one guy sat somewhere, basically, with a stencil set, and, and they're just producing these logos one after the other. And no one even knows whether it's the same thing that he keeps reproducing, but it's just one guy who keeps throwing them out, I reckon. That's my theory. Uh, well, it, it's def- it's, there's a definite style involved, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't do illegible stuff, because for me, you know, when I'm doing my logo work, so I, I need to find symmetry. Even when bands don't want it, I, my brain just wants me to, to create symmetry. So, you know, I've spent hours trying to make an L symmetrical with an S and things like that. You know, it's, it's really complex stuff, but I think... When it comes to those logos, you, you, they just—they have this ability to not give a fuck. You know, you, you, you don't, don't even need to know what letter it is, and that seems fine. But I just couldn't do that. I mean, if someone does come and ask me for that, you know, I just have to say no. There's there's lots of people who can do that, probably quite quickly. Um, but no, I, you know, I, I can't even get involved. I think you have, you have to be a, a very specific sort of person to be able to do it. I mean, some of them look beautiful. They're completely illegible, but they look beautiful. But well, I think you get to the point where they all do look the same now. Yeah, and I and I, I absolutely get you. Funnily enough, while you were talking about that, for some reason, it reminded me. There's a there's a there's one review of the new album, and it's a good review. I mean, I only know that because of the score out of ten. Um, but the person who's written it has put every word that they've ever heard and not understood in the review. Um, <laughs> So it's 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 completely and utterly nonsensical. I mean, it's it's just an it's just an absolute tragedy of the English language. There's just like words in there that shouldn't be. The complete juxtaposition, yeah. you know, contradictions because they don't know the meanings of the words they're using. And 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 this guy is literally advertising himself as, "Hey, want me to write for your band?" Fuck no. Um, <laughs> And it, 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 that that completely reminded me of of what you're talking about of that of that kind of um, hey it looks great but I can't fucking read it doesn't matter yeah. it looks great <laughs> you know well, that's enough for some people I mean that, that yeah there are there are very superficial aesthetics in metal I mean it, it's very true and sometimes that works you know ultimately if you're happy with producing that kind of thing and people listening to it and looking at it are happy with that then I just compartmentalize it in a in a place that I don't understand but I I appreciate there is something to understand you know just just put it over there because that many people can't be wrong I guess you know it's, it's a strange thing I think when it comes to reviews that's very different but yeah yeah I, I I okay well it's all it's all a form of art it's all inspired by art um but it's just weird. It's just weird. So I'm interested to find out because I genuinely don't know this. Did you you know I are you Somebody who is started out as a freehand artist and then digital came out and 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 you know changed the game, or yeah, were you somebody yeah, who worked definitely. worked with computers and all of a sudden oh I get to be an artist as well? I think the, the progression for me I started out believing I was an illustrator. So when I was a kid I was always drawing and and I was you know I was I was good at drawing. I was always the best around me at drawing. Um, I started when I did got involved or sort of mixed that in with, with music, I was painting people's leather jackets. So I actually picked up a paintbrush and paint and started painting, you know, heavy metal covers, Sepultura covers on people's jackets. And it looked 
pretty much exactly the same. So I realised I was that kind of an artist. And I and I bet well, I bet there's people listening to this like myself who knew a kid like you because we gave them our leather jacket to paint something on. Yeah, there's always there's always one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you were the and that one. Was great. I mean, imagine when I was sort of seventeen, which is what you know, it's the best part of thirty years ago. And I, and I was getting fifty quid for doing something in one evening that I enjoyed doing anyway. It's like Jesus, this is amazing. Wow. And you go out around town, Billy Big Bollocks, everybody's talking about how good your jacket is. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's, that's the first taste of me actually, you know, realizing that there was a commercial opportunity in, in something I loved. But I think I, from, from there, I kind of went, I went off to college. I, I did a BTEC first, which was general art and design, which is back then it was mostly, you know, hand rendered stuff, and whether it was making stuff out of clay or fabric or, or drawing painting. And then, I went off to university and studied graphic design, and that was kind of the point where computers came in. So, you know, I had my first computer at home. We had some slow ones, you know, the original Macs at college. And I think, you know, the excitement of being able to do something different and use real fonts and typefaces was was kind of something that changed design then. I don't think it was good design, but it changed the way it all worked. So I was part of design when it all flipped on its head. But I, originally, I went to university believing I was an illustrator, um, and I got turned down. You know, they, they looked at my work and went, no, you're, you're nowhere near good enough. You're not an illustrator. Um, which is like, it was completely devastating because I was convinced that, you know, I was having been the best among my peers, yeah. that I was going to walk into an illustration course and, you know, and develop. But then, you know, you look around the walls of, of the place I was having an interview and I'm looking at stuff and, okay, right, that really does put my stuff to shame. And I kind of, I kind of suddenly had this massive kick in the guts, but it was, an, it was an honest one where I realized that wasn't for me. So I ended up just taking a, a, a normal graphic design course um, at the same uni that, that my now wife was at. There was a space there. I was just completely dejected, didn't care what I did, but I wanted to go. Um, and it was perfect, really. It, suddenly I realized that I had all these different skills. I'm, I'm, I still am a kind of jack-of-all-trades master and none. You know, there's, there's always better people at me around me that everyone's specific thing. But very few people can do all the things I do. And I kind of, that's my niche. And that's kind of what I found at, at college. And I think the progression into the computer side of things was more my understanding. I mean, I've done A-level in business studies, and I'm, I'm quite a practical thinker. And I, I was always thinking about career. And I knew that if I was a fine artist, I wouldn't make any money. But I knew that you could see that computers were the way of making money from design. And I think what I saw was I could do things much more quickly. And I was quite adept at computers as well. But I could do things much more quickly. And, and I thought, well, if it takes me a week to draw something, that I can bang out in an hour on a computer, then surely this is the way to go. And I think that kind of matches my impatience when it comes to doing anything, really. I mean, I, I, now I don't like long projects. I like to, with a lyric video, I set myself two days maximum, never anymore. I want to get it done within two days, partly because that allows a band to pay for my time, partly because I stay fully engaged and enthusiastic, you know, for, for an intense period and I don't get bored of what I'm doing. And I think that's what computers allow me to do. You know, I, I can bang through things. I can do things efficiently and quickly. I can make them look very highly finished with, with the tools I've got. Um, and it kind of works. Bands, gonna, bands can get things or have good product in less time, which makes me more affordable than other people. Um, and it kind of works. I think, on the other hand, you've then got those fine artists who do love just to sit and spend weeks and weeks and weeks developing and, you know, really exploring and getting involved in their artwork. And that suits them. And, they probably never touch computers because it's just, you know, it destroys everything they love. But for me, it was kind of a, 
an accidental or a technological stage that that introduced me into act, absolutely the right tool for my art. So, a bit of a coincidence, but it was a good match, really. That's a that is a that is a great great story, a great lesson there, and also I think what for me listening to that. There's a, there's a there's a there's a message in there, and I, I you know I hate to be all Mister Mister you know uh, oh there's a message in there, but I'm going to be that guy, and that is, and that is getting out of your comfort zone, and and yeah. uh, exactly that being being the best among your mates does give you a certain confidence and all the rest of it, but at some point you have to go out into the real world and find out how good are you. You know how yeah. you know, and and you know, you it, it's all very well being a big fish in a small pond, but you can't stay in that small pond and grow. And it's moving to that next stage where you find out what you're all about, and and for you to be able to to take that on board. And as you say, I mean, you you, you sound philosophical now, but you know, you 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 know, you recognise it was a gut punch at the time. Yeah, big but, time. But but what it did led you here. You know, I mean, the, the, the path sort of continued, and I think, you know, I, I learned that lesson very quickly, and it was to, not humility as such, but just just a, a very just a, a very clear understanding of where I was within, you know, my field. I, I really did understand that, um, and it, but I still had this urge to be that competitive urge to be praised, to be good at what I was doing. So I think that the desire to be among the best of what I do was always there, so that pushed me forward from a, from, from a motivation point of view. But I, I always had this practical, pragmatic view of everything I did. So you know, I, I went off and worked in in TV and, and film and promos and trailers, and then I worked in advertising and branding. I worked with a guy who who made all those classic BBC idents, you know, and learned a bit from him. And, and I've, I've done all sorts of things at a very sort of high level. You know, high income, high corporate, high intensity level, but never really loved what I did. I was always grateful because ultimately, you know, being a designer isn't real work. You're not getting your hands that dirty. Um, but it was never, it was never that nice. There were always people around you who were were in it for different reasons and not the passion. You know, you had, you had agents and clients who were just motivated by completely different things to you. So, so to to take that career and then move where I have now, just to to move back into doing stuff for bands, I've got so many lessons, m- more in understanding what I don't like about design and the design world. And that's really helped me appreciate other people's views on things. To, to go from... Uh, yeah, I've got you, mate. You know what I mean? We had, we had one full anecdote, I think, there. Yeah, we, <laughs> ju- we, we, we just about got to the end of that. Um <laughs> And, and your your many your many lessons in in working with bands and labels and and stuff like that. Well, I think I think what basically the point of my ramblings were is, is when when you worked for, for for corporate agencies where people are driven by almost always trying to impress their boss. So if someone's pushing you to do something. It's not for the job. It's not for the for the end product. It's basically because they want to look good in the eyes of their boss. So coming into working with bands where it's literally me on Facebook, a band messages me and says, oh, can you do something like this? It's really easy for me to just take a pod, to practically approach it and really understand everyone's view. So if it's a band who's got a really bad idea, I can deal with that because I've dealt with worse. If it's a band who's got no idea what they want and just want to let me go with it, then I'm grateful that I've got that opportunity. So 
it's very hard for me to find to struggle within this industry now because it's just so much easier than everything I've done before. So really, I think you know that the lesson is adaptability. Just just go with the flow. Let people do what they want to do, and uh, uh, sometimes you're going to produce work that you love yourself, and sometimes you won't. But ultimately, it's never going to be as bad as working for you know Sony Ericsson or something like that <laughs> yeah and and i guess i don't know is it has there has there any been has there ever been work that you've turned down where somebody said look this is what what you want and you and and you you think i can do that but i am i refuse to i'm not doing it sorry uh yeah so right. <laughs> please do go on no um so yeah has there anything where yeah, you've gone so, so have no. i ever turned down work um, on I'm principle, not, not really. on, no, I mean, I mean, on the... principle, where you, we, they've, they've asked, and you've just thought, fuck that, I'm not doing it. No, I, I don't really have any principles when it comes to art. I think, <laughs> I think my principles in real life are, are, are very strong. When it comes to artwork, it's like, oh no, whatever, man, it's just an album cover. I mean, I really, I really do think that way. I just like, if I'm going to really hate doing it, or if it, you know, if someone pushed it to, to the point where it was a really hugely offensive you know, idea, then yeah, I would, I would stop. I wouldn't want to offend people, but my, my principles among art, I mean, art is art, it's just, yeah, whatever, it's just an album cover, you know, we've got, I've got, I've got love, I love my carcass album covers and they're chopped up meat, which is a bit grim, but it doesn't matter, because it's just, it's just nonsense, you know, it's not important for me to care about that much, I don't think. I want people to have something they like and that, that's all that really matters. Yeah, and, and ultimately, when it comes to art, you know what's offensive to one person is is you know uh, is absolute beauty to another. Yeah, I mean you shouldn't be offended by it. That's the thing. I mean there is stuff that is offensive, but you've got so many options like to not look at it. You know that that's the difference with art and other things. You know it's not someone making a point; it's someone saying, "I've got some music. You have to physically look at this CD cover to be offended by it." So. There, there are a lot of options to not be offended by it. You know, there, there are things in life where you can't avoid it. There's a, there are people doing things to people that they can't avoid. That Art doesn't come anywhere close to that to me. So, you know, I think my, my principles are, are, <laughs> are very loose when it comes to, to working with bands because, you know, we all write about different things. Yeah, and, and, and also, ultimately, um, you know, it, it, you can't cause offence. You can only take offence because, you know, it, it, each individual yeah. is offended by something different. Um, and I, it's kind of weird because you know we we very much live in a, a an age now where if somebody finds something offensive, they immediately think that 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 makes it a fact and something should be done yeah. about it, as opposed to just saying, "Well, I'm offended by that, um, but I'm sure there's other people who like it," and moving on. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. That, that's the, the thing about music is it, when people you know sort of force things in front of you. That that's quite different. That can be very you know uncomfortable, but. Music is never like that, you know. You, you, it's never, it might be accidental that you hear something you don't like, but you have to go out and seek these things. So there's, there's a big choice, you know, and, that, and, and that, that's basically where the line stops for me. You know, you just, you just don't have to worry about things. People talk about, you know, whether whether bands have got Nazi heritage or their iconography is wrong. It's like, well, step away, you know, unless they are actually doing something alongside that that you're offended by or you think hurts people. Don't be offended by the words in a song because. You know, Ozzy used to sing about God a lot, but I don't think he particularly believed in what he was writing. He was just exploring ideas. It's okay to, to explore all ideas. As long as you're not on stage, you know, Nazi saluting in front of the crowd where they can't avoid seeing that sort of thing. I don't think having, you know, lyrics or iconography that, that, that test certain areas 
difficult areas and subject matter matters. That's what music's about. It's about provocation, you know. The reason behind that provocation is something you don't know, and that's, that's the beauty of music. It's up to you, like you say, to take offence or, to, you know, to, to interpret everything exactly how you want to, or indeed just not, just just push it away and, and, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's it's... I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that that we're you know we're past a time whereby music gets lumped in and blamed for all sorts of things. When there's you know there's so there's so many so many better things to blame uh, to blame stuff on. You know. Well, you you say that, but then you look at you look at the, the thing with Eminem recently. You know, I don't know whether you, oh, you, I, do you, you know you what follow the the outrage about yeah. him mentioning Ariana Grande, and it's like for me, he is. He is all about the provocation, and he warns people, I am about provocation. I will provoke you. I want to provoke you. I want people to think. Yeah. What I say is, is under the name of, of the character M&M. That isn't my name. You know, I, I, I'm Marshall Mathers. This is what I do. And then people take one word and decide to build a context and say, you're laughing at the Manchester bombing. And it's like, well, yeah. no, you're, you're fucking stupid. You are absolutely fucking stupid. And then, you know, I, I, I'm sort of sensitively discussing it because I like, as you know, I like a debate. But people are saying, well, you weren't there. I live in Manchester. And I'm like, well, yeah, you live in Manchester, but you weren't part of it. So you can't just adopt more offence because you're nearer it. That isn't how this works. You know, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't geographical based references. This is you taking this word and being offended by it. You're, you, you don't, you're no different to me. You know, you, you can't say you, you own the offence more than I do. It's, it's just... It's exactly as you say, people want it. People want to be offended by it. People look for it. Actually, you know, the truth of the matter is, if you look at what this album Eminem's created is, and I don't like his music particularly, but he, he's really pushing in the right direction. He really wants me to, people to think about things. He really wants to, to send a positive message by making people think about negative ones, you know? But yeah. people don't look that far. So I think, I, personally, I think, you know, the, the offended culture is still here. People still do look for things to be offended by. And I think oh, without... the internet is a nice tool for them to spend time indulging in that. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you know, we're we're in we're in the the absolute zenith of of, of that culture. Um, I was just hoping the music would take less blame for stuff like you know gang shootings and stuff like that. But I'm really yeah. glad that you brought up Ariana Grande because I actually brought I brought that up at the beginning of the podcast. Just yeah, making right. the point that it's just like they people have taken people have taken two lines of lyrics out of the song. Um, so there's no there, there's no narrative. There's no context. Then they've given those lines to people who are related to people who were killed outside the venue and said, mm. so what do you think about this then? Well, of course they're going to fucking kick off. Of course they're going to yeah. say, well, that's, that's, that's a fucking disgrace. It's like, it's like, you know, the, the parallel in comedy is, is the old line, um, you know, uh, all jokes are funny unless they're about you. You know, yeah, and it's really, like, really true. you know, and, and, and I, I've, I've had it, you know, I've had it on social media about somebody complaining about something I said on here about which which was it, it completely taken out of context. I, I, you know, something I said about Dave Mustaine and, you know, there wouldn't be any more big four shows because he had cancer, you know, and I instantly said, like, I'm only joking. And obviously I didn't mean that, you know, but they just took yeah. that. They took that line totally out of context, put it in a tweet and include Dave Mustaine on it. It's like, what the fuck? you doing you're clearly using mock outrage to get into a to get into a twitter conversation with dave mustaine yes you've got somebody clearly in your family who's suffering from cancer at the moment therefore you think cancer is off the menu as a topic of 
comedy. Yeah. Believe you and me, it fucking isn't. Yeah, you know? and who knows? Who knows what the person who has said that has been through and experienced? You know, and that's the thing. That, that this is what I've always explained to people who take offence things. They, just because you you think it's impersonal, just because you know, so what, well, I, well, I've I've been through this, so, so I, I've I've been abused as a child. I understand that. It's like, well, okay, but do you not realise the person you're talking about had it worse? Well, I didn't know that. Exactly. End of conversation. Exactly. Yeah, but that's I, what I, context I, is defined. I, you know, I, exactly. And sometimes, sometimes people are. Um, Sometimes people are uh, so close to something that it that it, it makes them react like you know they somebody's suffering. But some 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 people deal with it through humour, and other people find that very humour offensive. But it's their way of coping yeah. with it. Exactly. But this is the thing: you look at you know someone like Eminem, and, and he's doing the same as any good lyricist does. You you try and find you've got something to say in a line. You want to use the strongest, most powerful, effective words you can to do that. Now, for a lot of people, that's just, you know, thesaurus-based. You know, I want to say scared. Let's find other words for scared. What sounds good? For him, it's analogy. It's, 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 you know, it's something that links it in. It's something that provokes a reaction based on it. Yeah. So immediately to talk about the idea, for example, of someone going fucking nuts and losing it and going on a rampage, he can make that, that idea manifest immediately by using Ariana Grande's name because people have emotions attached to it. And, you know, that's quite clever as well. You know, as well as being talented, he, he's very clever at being able to find that almost distilled point of, of trigger to make people feel a certain way. But the point is, is he's not talking about that subject. He's using it to exaggerate a point. And that is art. I mean, that, that, that's in its purest form. That's exactly what everyone really aspires to do. Well, also, but it's the, a complete failure to understand, well, an unwillingness to understand that. You know, people just this the age of literalism where they go follow up album. <laughs> the the age of literalism <laughs> where people just want to take things for what they, you know, literally mean rather than understand a point. Yeah, and it's as simple as that. I think I think also there is a there's an element of being um, being triggered um, and not being able to see past your rage and actually yeah. going. Do you know what? Just take a beat. The guy's clearly not pro blowing people up. The whole album is actually is the whole message throughout the album is 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 mainly to Americans to to um, vote for gun control to, to you know to yeah. get guns off the streets. That and that that's the that's the irony here. Um, whereas people want to concentrate on a couple of lines that might have, might offend a few people, which you know. Whatever. Anyway, well, I think that's, I th that's where it comes from. It's ridiculous because they didn't even spend the five minutes it would have taken just to read, to just to watch his single, the video to his single, yeah, the other song, to understand that. You know, they haven't even listened to the music. That's what, what you're saying. They've literally read a line. They haven't even bothered to listen to the first song. They've gone no further than that. Five minutes. Yet they'll have the outrage. They'll spend all of this time being outraged without even bothering to to, to at least see if there's a reason for it. And that's just like, oh, well, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no time for people like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but taking a little bit of a shift sideways. So, um, so what are you listening to at the moment? What's what's grabbing your attention? Um, any stuff that you're working on that hasn't come out that you know um, that that that's cool? What's being you know what's on the decks in the uh, Pilkington household? I tell you what, uh, not listening to a great deal because most of my time is spent creating lyric videos. So 
I kind of have to listen to that song <laughs> really? in, 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 in bits and pieces repeatedly for 12 hours a day. And I don't really get much time to, to listen to other stuff. So um, I, what I'm doing is probably going through Bloodstock bands that I've not really heard much of and seeing if I like them. Because um, for me, this year, the lineup's top-notch. There's a lot of thrash bands like, you know, Violence, Sacred Right, Your Love. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff that I've not heard of. So I try and just go through playlists and, and listening to bands and seeing what I like. And uh, I think one that I've really discovered is, is a band called Green Lung, um, which is kind of, you know, sort of rocky, groovy kind of stuff. And and it's really beautiful. Um, and I'm really into that. And I think I'm realising that, you know, I do quite like a lot of the, the sort of the lighter doom kind of music these days. I hadn't realised. But, but yeah, that, that, that sort of stuff's Anything that's on blood stuff, I've been listening to really. Right, yeah. I mean, and and obviously we've been, um, you know, I can't say too much at the moment, um, but we've been working on a project together. Um, yeah. And um, I, I, I've always found, I mean, other than you know, the, with the exception of the Age of Entitlement, um, you know, the man who became himself, the cover, the, the lyric video, um, the project you're working uh, that you, that you've done for us now. Um, it's. It, 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 I've always found it just a really, really dead simple process, um, and and you know that we had that discussion where you 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 sent me what you were working on. I looked at it and 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 then then that you know inspired me to to come you know to come up with other ideas which you then took on board and then and yeah. you, and you added your own you know color to that as well. Um, yeah. I love the element of collaboration. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I love that. I mean, even you know, recording vocals. I always look at that as a collaboration between me and whoever I'm recording with. It's, you know, Jay, it's been Jace the last couple of times, and it probably will be again. And um, I, I really like that. I love that back and forth and ending up with something that is is a mixture of different people's inputs. That's all. That's that's created something that ends up being exactly what you wanted. Um, mm. It's incredibly full, uh, fulfilling, um, and I guess you know, from my point of view, only being involved here and there with working with you, I, I you know, I, I love that. I love that. I love that element. I love that um, uh, that the, that that attitude that you have, which is very much a kind of like, right, look, this is what I've done. Um, where are you with that? And like, you know, when you sent me a very small clip and just went, look, this is the general vibe. Um, yeah. And I guess there isn't a question in here. It's just, I love you, man. <laughs> it's interesting, though, that, because, because I really enjoy that as well. But that really doesn't happen much in my job at all. Uh, it really doesn't. And, it, and there, there are a lot of reasons why it doesn't, I think. But um, a lot of it's probably down to the confidence of the band. I think, you know, you, you're an experienced guy. You're, you're a vocal person. You know your mind. Even if, even if you're not sure what you want, you're, you're very able to, to vocalise thoughts around it. And I think for someone like me, you know, my job is to be a sponge for ideas as well. That's great because I can just feed off different bits. You're not sure, but I can pick the bits out and kind of filter through it and come up with what I think you want. And, and that's really nice. But I think a lot of the time, bands don't know what they want, especially when it comes to, to lyric videos, because it's kind of this this weird area where, you know, five years ago, all lyric videos were homemade and terrible. And then over the past few years, some people have started to try and craft them into something a bit better. And I don't think people really have the confidence to, to get too involved in them yet. They're, they're kind of like, OK, well, I'll, I'll just let people go with it. You know, I see people creating absolute shit that bands love. And then I can 
do what I think is one of my best pieces of work, and they'll and they'll, and they'll love it too. So it's kind of like okay, they don't really discern yet. I think maybe in a few years' time, bands might input a bit more into videos. But I would say probably only one in ten people really give me any more than very broad ideas on on what they want the video to look like. And, and nearly all of the time, I will complete it. I'll go away, complete it without me seeing anything, deliver it, and they'll say absolutely fantastic. Cheers. And that and that's the process gone. And I kind of like that because I can do it quickly and, I, and, and I've got this sense of freedom. But I think it is nice, if I can afford the time, like I do with you, to, to actually sit and really understand what someone wants and make sure they're not just getting something they like, they're getting something that they, you know, could be as good as it can be. And I think that's, that's probably a bit of the difference with the process that we do. You know, I'm not going to give you something, as a friend and a band I like, I'm not going to give you something that's good enough. I want it to be you know, really what the best you could have got in that situation. So that's where collaboration sort of puts in that, that the extra yards, I think. Well, also, I think that, um, I mean, I, like I said, I just, I just think it leads to, to um, uh, a better product. I, I never, I don't like being prescriptive with, with anyone for anything because I think, mm. uh, because I wouldn't like that. Um, I just think it's, I, I, I think it is, um, uh, what can I say? Um, I think it's, you know, putting you in a box and saying, right, this is what I want. This is exactly how I want it to look. Um, I, I don't know. It's just, I guess you can only look from your own perspective. And if that was me and I was being, you know, I was being told, right, you know, this is it. It would just make me, I don't know. It just make me feel a little bit kind of like, mm, yeah, right. I, I've, I've lost my enthusiasm for the project as it were. Um, yeah. Does does that necessarily well, no, I apply? Completely agree. Well, it's, it's interesting that you said that because taking that back to your well, taking it back to your question about artwork, where I said basically, you know, if someone's prescriptive. You still there? Yeah, yeah, we're all good. Hello. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. No, apparently I'm not. No, you're gone. Uh, <laughs> oh, fucking hell! Again. Hello, mate. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> we're we're, yeah, so, we're getting there. Go on, go for it. So, so taking that that back and applying it to your last question about album artwork, where I'm I'm much more open to, to prescriptive ideas because people seem to have much more certainty. You can tell they've been thinking about it for a long time. When it comes to videos, if someone asks me to do something that I don't like, I won't. I really won't because I think. The way I see a video, and partly for my enjoyment, but partly for the end product, is lyric videos have to tell the story with the lyrics. You know, it's, a lot of people create lyric videos that are, are just eye candy, so they're, they're explore, you know, zooming in and out of artwork and moving around things. It, it might look okay visually, it might look pretty, but it doesn't do anything. Whereas for me, I really want to try and tell a story. Um, and if the idea someone's given me doesn't allow me to do that, then I just, I can't, you know, I, I can't piece together an edit that doesn't tell you know it doesn't make any sense to me that that's almost impossible for me to do so um yeah I, I always bounce that back and, and i'll explain what i think should happen and how i can sort of interpret their their idea into something else and people are always really open to that um but i but i definitely push much harder because i think when someone doesn't really understand how uh, how edit narrative works it's very easy to to completely uh, ask, to ask something that completely doesn't work. I think, you know, you really need to trust an editor um, a lot more to be able to tell the story in, in the right way that works for the viewer because only we really understand how the viewer will 
to sort of engage with what you produce. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, for you as well, it's it, it's you have to really kind of get to grips with with the lyrics as well, um, yeah. which, you know, I mean, I've I because of downloads and, and all the rest and the way we consume music now, um, the lyric video really is almost like, you know, the showcase for mm. for, for lyrics, hence the name. Um, yeah. And I guess it's some. I mean, you know, let's kind of loosely talk around the project that you've been doing for us. You know, you you know um, what the song in question is actually about. Um, yeah. And yet there's only one frame in the whole video that gives anybody any idea of what it's about and there was and and they still won't get it um, but it, it's it's kind of like the lyric you know you've you've done a visual representation of the lyrics rather than an interpretation of what you know them to be about which yeah i which... mean in, i think that that comes down to understanding how you've written your lyrics though in your mind is a, an experience and you want to write it in a way that's compatible with with you know music so you don't describe what's happened you use analogies and metaphors and you explore different ways of saying things and i think i i have to do that with the video as well i have to leave it open to interpretation part of it is my own interpretation but it needs to be broad enough for people to get the same experience you intended when you wrote the lyrics if that makes sense uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, as a, funnily enough, as a lyric writer, I can I can firmly say that um, uh, if you if you think you know what the lyrics are about to a song on our new album, you are almost certainly wrong. Um, <laughs> other than New Age Narcissist, and uh, well, other than New Age Narcissist, um, Sense of Independence. And within the woods, which are three songs, which are very you know they're, they're clear yeah. about what they're about. The rest, yeah, you're almost certainly wrong. Um, I mean, it's it's bizarre the um, the kind of um, the kind of uh, things that I've read that apparently songs are about. Um, I, I'm just like, wow, really? I'm I'm like, I just don't recognise that at all. Um, yeah. but again, again, it, it's, it's, it's putting stuff out there and once it's out there, it's not yours. And I guess it's the same with your art. You know, you, you know, you may, you may have a certain level of interpretation or whatever to what you do and you put it out there and, and, and people see different things. Yeah. I mean, I think that sort of, that usually flags up either the strength or the weakness of the lyrics that I'm given as well. You know, if it's, if it's weak lyrics. I think the, the footage and, and the approach, visual approach I take stands out more because the lyrics aren't telling a strong enough story or they're too ambiguous or just, you know, not flowing. I think that puts a lot of pressure on my on my visual. So in those cases, I like to have a strong theme in a song because I want to be able to take something powerful that's visual. So if it's a bit too abstracted and it's, oh, I split up with my girlfriend kind of thing. So, yeah, how do I show pictures of that? You know, if your lyrics are a bit wishy-washy and dreamy, you know, they sound beautiful in a song, but when you actually read them, they don't work in the same way. I need to be able to add punch to that. Whereas people whose lyrics are very powerful and really have impact, I can create more of a textural support to that, you know. And I think in a way that's with, with 
giving anything away with with the video I've done for you. Um, I can create just things that that punctuate. So it's almost experience, like you know, the, the speed of what I do, the movement, the colour, the, the the brightness, the intensity is there to accentuate your words rather than visually explain anything. So I think that's where you can be ambiguous and you can leave it open to interpretation. It's about setting the right mood. So whatever's happening in your ears, you're getting, you know, the equivalent visually. So so you come away with an enhanced experience of those lyrics rather than me having to explain something to people, which sometimes I kind of do have to do. Have you um, have you ever been asked to do stuff, design stuff for sort of screens, to be on screens while while someone's playing and and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I have, I have, I've got a couple of jobs in I have a go. There, there are some cases where I've, I mean, I've, I think for five different bands now, I've done videos for their full albums. So, you know, like sort of eight or nine tracks from that album and, and a couple of those, um, I don't know if they've actually rolled it out yet because I think it's always a harder idea to implement than they realise, but I've created versions of the lyric videos without the lyrics, obviously, which, which helps on stage thinking because unless they've learned click tracks, they're not going to match. But also, you know, it's it's just about almost like a branding thing, whereas what you see on YouTube and on the Facebook page you're going to see on stage. But, you know, it's just a way of, of the correct moods of each of those songs being there on stage to enhance things. So, yeah, I've done it a few times. And is that that's kind of that's kind of weird because that that's really ethereal when you're having to just kind of, I mean, literally you were getting a blank canvas saying, oh, right, yeah, just sort of, you know, create some images and, and or, you know, or and or animations or whatever and for this song. And, you know, are you, are you just giving us kind of blank canvas or, you know, I guess it's... Well, no, it's, it's usually, it usually stems from a video first. So the stuff I've done is where I've created a video for them and they say, you know, we'd like to also use this on stage. Right. So, you know, I've, got, I've kind of had the same brief, you know, where I'm working to a, to a, a synopsis and then it, you just kind of make sure in, you put in mind that this needs to work in a, a more abstracted way on stage. I've not really, I don't think I've had someone just, no, I have had someone come to me and talk about it, but we never went ahead and said they, they just want stage visuals. And, and I've just explained, I said, you know, that's, that's going to cost you a lot because I'm going to have to sit for a long time and really work out, you know, I need to hear your full stage set. I need to react to it and understand what's going to work. I also kind of need to understand what sort of stages you're going to play and how, what sort of screens, and it gets very complicated. So I think generally those those conversations, once they start, end up going nowhere because of the, the logistical side of things. So I've never really had to explore that kind of open interpretation yet. Yeah, and I guess uh, it, it's like you say that. But it was interesting listening to you speak there as well about about all of the research that you want to do and 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 like you say, your size of venues and blah blah blah. And I mean that that is that's fascinating to me because that really is that's the attention that is the attention to the fine detail that um, that, <laughs> that by the sounds of it, you know, uh, people aren't willing to pay for in the end. Yeah, I mean, they just don't really understand that, you know, you don't just wheel a TV screen in behind stage or just turn on a projector. It just doesn't work that way. But I think that's the benefit from, you know, my my real career that I've come from, where I've I've worked on, you know, huge arena setups where you've got 10 screens behind a presentation for, you know, almost like Apple presentation or TED Talk scale things. And I think you're just forced into understanding the logistics of every single detail there. You know, as the person who's providing the video, you need to know it all. And I think that what that's allowed me to do now is basically within five seconds, identify problems for, for or, or positives or negatives for everything that I'm asked to do. 
Yeah, yeah, and and I, I guess it, it, are, are you always trying to challenge yourself? Are you always trying to kind of like have you ever got sort of halfway through a project and start thinking, hang on, this is feeling a bit familiar. I need to kind of maybe you know start again or get my head around I've this. Done in, that, in I've done that today actually. I'm, I'm doing a piece of artwork and I've just got through it. And I've got no, that's not working, so I started again. Um, do I challenge myself? Um, I don't try and consciously raise the bar. Um, I don't. I don't aim to do better each time. I just. I. I just always seek to enjoy what I'm doing. So I want to get to an end result that I think they're definitely going to like. That I'm so confident that this is a good piece of work. They're definitely going to like it. You know, this has really worked. And I think to 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 achieve that more often than not is probably my version of raising the bar. I don't think it's easy to challenge myself because. No. Again, again, the pragmatic answer is I've created all the videos already you know that they're, they're, they're i've done probably 50 videos on war i've done 100 videos on the apocalypse <laughs> you know that there's only so much you can do in each subject matter it's very rare someone comes with something new so the biggest challenge i get is how to do the same idea differently probably and that and that's that's enough but 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 similarly because i i set myself time constraints because of the practicalities of budget it's not very often I get a chance to really indulge in anything. You know, I think with your video, I spent more time on it because I, I introduced elements I don't normally work in that slow the process down and, and things like that. But, you know, for, for me, working with you is kind of different. I, I just, you know, uh, that, that's a bit more indulgent and I enjoy it. Um, and those sort of challenges happen a bit more. You know, if, if a really big client or a band comes to me that, you know, I really like, then I probably put more effort into it and I want to do something better. But there's never really a, a conscious... I need to improve kind of thing. I just want to make sure that I'm always doing a good job. Yeah, and I guess also there's that 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 is kind of selfish as well because it's not about you. It's about the it's about the band. It's about the client. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that's a, that's kind of a, a a personal not struggle. What's the word? But almost a, a conscience I have is that because I've set these these time constraints on everything I do because you know artwork takes me a day. That's what they can afford. Lyric videos take two days, otherwise they can't afford it. Otherwise, I won't get the work in, they can't afford it, and that's it. So I have to work within those constraints, and I have to appreciate there are certain things. I, I'm never doing the best possible job I can do, because you can always do better with more time. Yeah. I have a, two days to think about artwork before you do it, whereas I don't. You know, I, sit in, I get down in the morning, new job, I think about it there and then, and, and, and I not force myself, but I sort of... I push into the process of coming up with an idea within an hour. That's kind of how it works. It doesn't always work, but that, that's, that's where I am. If I had two days to think about it, I would probably come up with something more refined. So you could never do your absolute best under those kind of you know, business constraints. So there, there is always a, an improvement that could be had, but you just have to be practical about it. You know, I, I just aim to do as, as, as well as I can, and as long as the band's happy with what I do and you know I, I think I've given them good value for money then then I'm able to accept that whereas you know I think a lot of designers I, I've worked with and grew up with have a much sort of high level of finesse but they haven't got the opportunity to do you know 20 album covers and 100 videos a year like I do and that's a lot of fucking fun you know so ultimately the, the compromise I make still keeps people happy but it allows me to do what I love I think if I if I pushed things too much or if I worried about things too much, I just wouldn't be, I wouldn't be running this business. You know, I wouldn't, I'd be still employed by someone else doing something I don't really like. 
do you know what that is that is an an absolutely perfect place to leave it um and a and a, and a great description of your attitude and, and what you do and of course i'm not leaving it completely because there's uh, there's patreon questions from subscribers um okay. so uh, so don't go anywhere um or at least let's hope the the line doesn't drop um but um but for the main podcast mate thank you so much i really appreciate your time my pleasure as always mate always and that was my chat with the wonderful Andy Pilkington. Um, so there you go. We, uh, we yeah, we caught up. Um, we did a, a bit of stuff on the uh, the Patreon section as well, um, which was cool. Um, always great to have Andy on. Um, and I think that that was a, a different kind of interview as well. We've often you've often listened to us just sort of you know kind of rambling on about uh, about metal, but this was. Um, I think much more kind of focused on uh, on you know what he actually does, which is fucking incredible. I mean, you listen to the numbers at the end there um, of you know the amount of uh, videos and covers that he's that he's he's putting out a year, and it's just it's phenomenal. It really is phenomenal. Um, and um, on the Patreon podcast, actually, we got ch- chatting about the new Sepultura album, which I've listened to again since I mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, because that was yesterday and I've done the Andy interview today and I'm getting the podcast straight out. So if you're listening to this on Friday the 31st, I am doing this this afternoon, this very afternoon, um, or whenever you're listening to this, that's when I was doing it. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've, I'm, honestly, it's, it's, it's getting better with every listen, which is, all, which is always a good sign. You know, if you know you like something the first time you listen to it, it just keeps improving. So, um, so yeah, keep, uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, that's out in February. Um, I'm not actually sure when. Again, total lack of, um, uh, lack of preparedness on my part and lack of research. But um, you've, come to, you've come to expect that from me. And, um, and this is the end of the podcast. I'm not going to mention Patreon again because I did do the... Uh, I did do the um, the ident uh, uh, earlier, and it would be great if you could um, if you could join me. Um, really appreciate it. Re- but anyway, said I wasn't going to do that. Do want to thank all of you for listening as always. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast as always. Um, and as I always say, please do spread the word. You guys are my fucking best t- best you know way of expanding the podcast. Is you guys advocating it, sharing it. Um, since yeah, they, every episode is now available on Spotify. Some of you may have seen that. I put that out on um, on on the socials. So, if you know if you've got mates who only listen to podcasts on Spotify, please do fucking you know hit them up and say, look, you want to get your ears around some talking bollocks. Um, and I really appreciate that. I really would. Um, thank you very much for um, you know putting up with me for another episode. I hope the uh, ADHD stuff wasn't too much for you. Funnily enough, I've just picked up my uh, my pills, um, which are posted to me via secure... It's fucking insane. Via secure post because of the nature of what's in them. Um, so that's next month's supply with a slightly higher dosage. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. Um, anyway, look... It, it, it Hopefully, it's going to be an awesome year for metal. Um, last year was good. And I cannot believe that I've done over a hundred of these and this is five years in. This is also the first time that I've never done a my favourite albums of um, uh, of 2019 in January. And the reason for that is kind of did it with Godless uh, in the Christmas episode. So go and find that um, if you want to have, uh, you know, if you if you really care uh, what stuff I liked last year. And if not, I completely understand those whole top 10 things do my fucking head in. Um, anyway, 
Look, it's um, it's a pleasure. I absolutely love doing this. I've been saying this for five years. I'm still saying it because I still mean it and I'm still doing it and you guys are still here, which is awesome. I cannot stress that enough. It is fucking awesome. I really do appreciate it. This is what everybody does at the end of their podcast, isn't it? They all do this section. I've referred to that before. Um, but it just seems so apt and I really, I mean it. Comes from the heart, guys. And... I should mention, and I haven't mentioned for a long time, and it's remiss of me to do so, allabouttherock.co.uk. They're the website that hosts the podcast. They do all the technical stuff behind the scenes. I just record it, edit it, put it together, give them the, you know, give them the wording and the final, the final file. They do everything else. So a big shout out to them and Craig, who's been, you know, who's been there since the very beginning. It's just fucking you know it's brilliant and um hopefully this year we can take the the the, the podcast nay the bolo cast to the next level let's fucking hope so so anyway guys look really appreciate it um if there weren't enough rants for you this month don't worry there's bound to be a rant coming anytime soon like for instance about joey kramer trying to get his way back into uh, back into aerosmith by taking the band to court and getting a judge to force the band to let him play with them yeah because that's gonna work out joey you fucking dickhead honestly and and the only reason he wants to do it is so he can do a a, a fucking Vegas residency with them who the fuck wants to do that your career's got to be on the slide if you're doing that dear me anyway anyway look guys thank you very much I've got to get this fucker out so you can listen to it cheers speak to you next month